Welcome back to the Science Fiction Film Podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean. I'm Matthew. And on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing a midnight special from 2016, directed by Jeff Nichols. So, Matthew, this is the last flick we're picking before we hit bounty season. We have a, uh, after this, we have another science fiction movie, actually, from the poll, right? Last Starfighter, which, That's right. real quick, never seen it. What? Can you believe that? Really? Yeah, so wow. tune in next week when I dump all over it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of a kid's movie, so you know how those go. It's a fucking kid's movie. Um, but, but uh, yeah, so we, but. Think about all the science fiction we did in the month of May. What a what a thing. What a treat. Ah, so yummy. So much freedom. Yeah. Ugh, now we're bound to all these requests. And they only paid us money. Ugh. I know. <laughs> they they're giving us money to talk about movies. So I'm not gonna complain. <laughs> not a sci-fi in the bunch though. Not a sci-fi in the bunch. I love when listeners complain about the lack of sci-fi. And I'm like, well, you guys are the ones buying non-sci-fi movies. You're the ones buying they your never do shy, They never do sci-fi no more. Harumph. Oh, also, can you do Goodfellas? <laughs> I don't like films like this, but can you do this? <laughs> silly. It's awesome. You bunch of silly billies. We love you. Yeah. I only love the ones that give us money, truth be told. The rest <laughs> of them can it, fuck it. right off. Just <laughs> <laughs> ah, our, uh, ah. Just abiding to that old-time adage, every listener's <laughs> episode could be their first. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Podcasting 101, do not alienate the first-time listener. <clears throat> <laughs> we don't like you unless you got the cash. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, pay me. Had a fire. <laughs> Fuck you, pay me. Oh, your kid's <laughs> sick. Fuck you, pay me. Um, here we are, man. Midnight special. So you picked it. I did. You picked it really with little thought, which I appreciate. Yeah. Just you just kind of went in. This is Matthew. Pow, 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 from the hip. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Firing right through the holster. Didn't even take the gun out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, here we are. Why'd you pick it? Because it is a movie I've been meaning to get to. It's a movie that's been on my radar for a long time. And I know the director, uh, Jeff Nichols. I've seen some of his other movies, and I really like the ones I've seen. And this is only, I think, his fourth movie. He's made one more since this. Um, but I liked his other movies a lot. It has a really kind of interesting style. And I'd heard all about This was his first um, real like sci-fi movie, too. And I was like, ooh, I'd be interested to see this guy's take on a sci-fi. Still never saw it. Just never got around to it. So when you asked... What will be next? I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Midnight special. I need to see this movie. Um, so yeah, that was have it. Have you seen I, Mud? I, I have seen Mud. I yeah, do I like it. that movie. Me yeah, too. that was kind of that was kind of the beginning of the Matthew McConaughey Assonance. No, <laughs> it was one of them. It was yeah. one of the ones shoring up. I, I'm not just a, a fucking beach bum in a rom com. <laughs> That's true. But um, it's funny. Doesn't that kind of have similar connotations here? Like the kid, the alienation of the family, sort of. And and being kind of set in the South too. He's he's mm-hmm. from I'm not you know, he's from Arkansas. Studied in North Carolina where he learned how to make movies. This takes um, place yeah, in Florida, Florida, and I think I think it starts out in Texas. It does. Yep, <clears throat> ends in Florida, as most stories do. <laughs> of hope and, and dreams. Lives. Of hope and <laughs> dreams. dreams. Lives, innocence. <laughs> I love it. I don't even care. Not having swamp ass. Yeah, but uh, so. 
you watch it today for the first time. So mm-hmm. we're both coming off first-time watches of this movie. I've never seen it. And uh, we haven't really had a hell of a lot of time to think about it. But um, we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into this and just see what happens, Matthew. But yeah. what were your impressions? I, overall, I really liked it. This, I mean, part of what I liked about, have you ever seen, we talked about Mud, but did you ever see uh, Take Shelter? No. The other... That's another movie that Jeff Nichols did with uh, Michael Shannon. And that is as far, I mean, it's a good movie, but it is, the centerpiece of that movie is Michael Shannon's performance. And he's fucking excellent in that. And that's honestly the first time I ever really took note of him. I saw uh, Revolutionary Road, and that's back when Michael I Shannon saw that was still. Too. It's a good movie. Um, but he's not a big part of it. He's kind of a smaller part, but his part is really interesting. Um, and it's it's a, even though it's on screen for a short amount of time, he has a real impact in that movie. And I remember even then being like, hmm, that guy's good. I kind of like that guy. And then when I saw Take Shelter and he's like the lead actor in that, I was like, fuck, Michael Shannon is really good. And then I started watching Boardwalk Empire. He's fucking excellent on that. And pretty much anything he's popped up in, I kind of, you know, my ears perk up a little bit. I'm like, ooh, Michael Shannon, he's really good. Um, And evidently he is a longtime collaborator with Jeff Nichols. Uh, And in this one, man, I think again, he is kind of one of the, the, the best parts of the movie. He's really fucking excellent. And it has a similar feel in Slow that. Slow down, he's about to come. But no, it has a similar feel as far as uh, Take Shelter goes in that it's very much, it's almost more about the tone and the atmosphere than the story, the plot itself. Um, and that I really enjoyed. I have a, my, my, probably my biggest gripe with this movie is how much, information like I, I i don't mind ambiguity i don't mind mystery i don't mind information being withheld i'm fine with all that but i think this movie rests a little too much on oops i'm not gonna tell you wink wink like like there's a little bit too much of we're just not showing you what's what's there and what the characters know and normally i'm on board with that but i feel like this movie at a certain point kind of steps a little over the line into too much like you you gotta gotta give us a little bit more um but overall would you I, say I think, it's a little too cute. It's, uh, it start. It's it puts a toe over the line. Mm, a little, little too cute. Too still, at the end, I'm is still it? happy. <laughs> I'm still happy with it. I am still overall happy. I would say I'm happy with a solid ninety percent of this movie, and it's kind of the final ten percent. I was like, ah, it's a little too cute. You kind of held back a little too long. Um, but just the <laughs> ride of the filmmaking and just just watching it play out and especially just the performances and the people probably my favorite singular aspect of this movie is how fucking realistic it feels like the people themselves they mm-hmm. feel like very real people it feels like this is how this shit would play out like in the dialogue i think is really good he has a, I don't know, I feel like Jeff Nichols, because he also wrote it. He was the only writer. He wrote and directed it. A bit of a auteur. Um, but, oh, big old Georgie Lucas in the house. Huh? Yeah. Old Georgie Porgy Lucas. Swinging it around, knocking lamps over. Um, but yeah, like, that That to me is kind of my favorite feel about this movie. It's just this kind of very real world, low down, these are regular people grappling with this. Uh, that shit was pulled off really, really well. And it's, and I can't wait to talk about some of just the way this movie moves from scene to scene is, is really pretty damn good. It's good filmmaking. Um, even though I would say maybe it's standing alone just as a movie as a whole, eh, it's got some problems, but there's some really strong talent in here. I enjoyed it, man. I, I definitely really like it. Yeah, I also enjoy this movie quite a bit. To be perfectly honest with you, and I am joking, I'm teasing about the plot. I think it's directed better than it's written, for sure. And I think it's acted superbly. I think the music is fantastic. And um, this movie 
immediately puts you on edge. Uh, You feel uncomfortable. You feel out of sorts. uh, You feel like you're about to sort of just bite down on the mouthpiece and have at it in, in hope you make it. (laughs) It has that feeling to it, which I really love. And it's, and it's immediate and it's this build and the music, the percussive repetitive nature of the music, which grows in volume and, uh, and increases in tempo as it goes, just drives that forward. Um, acted, directed and, and scored very well. And it worked for me. I like the, I like the lighting. I like the characters. Um, I like that we are uh, in media res, so to speak. We're we're kind of thrown into the middle of this, and we don't really yeah. know what's going to go on. Um, I, it made my head spin with ideas. <clears throat> I actually wrote down a little side. If we ever, depending on how our role playing podcast goes, I wrote down this little like idea for like a. It made me think of like, wouldn't it be cool to see this set in a different setting with different characters and different stuff? And I made a little note of that, which I'm not going to share here. But um, just because if it ever becomes something for, for like a story in an RPG cast, I would like to use it like a, an homage to this movie, so to speak. Um, that and Children of Men I thought of when I was watching this movie. Um, mm. but, but it's really cool, man. I like the way this whole thing starts off. Um, I like the use, uh, first of all, when you have both Michael Shannon and Joel Edgerton, who I love. First of all, oh, this yeah. cast is great. Excellent. Michael yeah, Shannon, Edgerton. Joel yeah. Edgerton, Kristen Dunn's Adam Driver, right there. Mm-hmm. Bill Camp, I'm a Bill Camp, Sham Sep- Shepherd. Sam Shepard, dude. Fuck. Um, <clears throat> Bill Camp, man, he's the he plays Lieutenant Box in that HBO miniseries about the um about the taxi driver kid who gets wrapped up with a girl, the girl ends up dead, and you don't know if he killed her or not. You know, that something I forget the name of the goddamn HBO series. It's good. I think it's going to have another season, but I don't really know. And he plays the lieutenant, in it, and he's great. He's great, like, hard-nosed detective Bill Camp. I like him. I like his style. Um, yeah, but I also Paul Sparks, of course, made famous by um, um, uh, House of Cards, right? He's in that. <clears throat> he looks not so hot in this movie. He looks heavy, and he, does, he needs facial hair, I think. It makes him look better. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, a good cast, man. Um, and it starts off just pounding and you can feel the anxiety creeping in as this pushes on. And let's be real, Michael Shannon and Joel Edgerton, who are kind of rough looking in this, you don't know if they're good or bad guys just, just yet. Which I love. Which I love love the way you look at them. Now, when you observe Michael Shannon's interaction with the lad played by Jaden Martell, by the way, when you when you watch Roy discussing interacting with Alt Alton, how do you say it? Alton, Alton, yeah. You you do get a sense that the kids probably they're, he's they're probably fond of each other. That this this kid doesn't appear to be being held against his will, right? But you're still not sure what the situation is here, right? Yeah, yeah. This is why I never sure trust Amber Alerts. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of my more like. I understand the necessity and how important they can be, but at the same time, I also know that they could be used by evil governments who are like, hey, these people are on the run and they're just trying to get their fucking kid away from the psycho government. That's the way I see it. <laughs> and that's kind of how this movie is, right? No, it, def- it definitely has a very 70s, 80s feel about the government. It's very E.T. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, and strangely enough, it makes sense, though. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, it makes sense why any person involved in this would want their own, why anybody around this would have some sort of interest in it. It makes sense to me, but it's a great start, great open, and uh, uh, and the music the just works. I thought. I mean, this is like fucking. <laughs> aspiring filmmakers fucking take note of this open dude like there's hardly any dialogue we just it is a perfect example of show don't tell like we're, we're just in it you start to pick up the pieces the visual clues of like okay they're pulling duct tape off of the eye hole of a hotel room in some small motel they're hearing news about you know we see his picture on the news as the man who's taking this boy mm-hmm. like oh shit this is two couple of kidnappers they're fucking loading up guns and then that great change of tone when you see the little kid pull the sheet up and it's nothing but warmth between them where he's mm-hmm. like all right we better lose the sheet better get going you know and kids like happy to you know comply and, they, and they're just kind of going together and they're very cautious and you start to realize this isn't what you think right i mean as soon as the kids got headphones on i'm like oh man <laughs> it's from alice kid <laughs> same kid from it by the way can't say certain words around him kind of thing <laughs> he's one of them kids <laughs> fucking that's a microwaving the cat and putting a knife in your belly <laughs> all for you Damien <laughs> um, yeah same kid from it good, yep. good catch the kid the kid afraid of that painting with the woman in the flute yes yes hey look at you look at the big brain on Matt <laughs> I don't remember that character's name at all but I remember that scene it's okay buddy <laughs> But yeah, I'll tell you, I immediately like this movie in this moment. The tone, the setting, it's it's my wheelhouse, man. I like this foreboding, oh, yeah. heavy shit, and the cast just is instantly believable. I get the impression that Joel Edgerton is a, is a hardo, right? You, oh, yeah. You get that impression from the way he... Man, what a great actor he is, too. Dude, Joel Edgerton's fantastic. I mean, the, you know what, the, the, the two of these guys are just great, and they can play a variety of roles. Yeah, yeah they're both fucking phenomenal the first movie that i uh probably not the very first one i'd ever seen joe edgerton in but the, the time where i'm like wow you know he impressed me he's fucking excellent is warrior warrior's fucking a killer flick and he is so good in that nice i don't remember the first thing i saw him in um i know he was in the thing remake which i didn't actually see it's um, eh, it's i it's not terrible it's actually not terrible kind of interesting in moments but it's not nothing to write home about Right. I saw that movie, The Gift, I think it is. He's also in The Great Gatsby. I remember that. But um, it comes at night. I liked him in. I liked him in Red Sparrow. I've seen that. And then, of course, in Black Mass, he plays John Connolly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good Good stuff. That shit. Yeah. But um, you were saying, I'm sorry. Uh, Just the the title card was cool, too, right? Just the plain white text. Bam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're on the run. And I like that. And I go, okay. You you establish your movie in five minutes, and Perfect, we are in. We are interested. You have our attention. There's something going on here. The kid's wearing goggles, and he has and he has things over his ears. That's weird. Why is that a thing? And that's, that's a, a, again, it's perfect. Just visual details that we don't have to be told that we're not. There's no bullshit dialogue of like, you know, he can't go out during the day because of his powers or some bullshit. Where it's just like you just see this kid wearing these things and he's being smuggled out in a bed sheet, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? There must be something up with this kid. It's awesome. That's the only. That's the only mystery we need. Uh, I believe after we meet 
these characters, we then go to what is what I have now pieced together. Having seen the whole movie, I'm taking notes. It's funny. I look at my notes and my notes don't know because I've never, it's funny when you take notes on a movie you've seen and when you take a note on a movie you haven't seen. Right. Cause you have to kind of go back and revise. You're like, Oh, that's right. I'm like, I don't know who this is, but, um, so essentially what we learn in the next scene is we get to look in on what's called the ranch, which is like apparently a giant religious sect, perhaps a cult. Yeah. Some very like insular, you know, they, they look like Mennonites, but they definitely, they're not, Mennonites don't hoard a bunch of guns. <laughs> I know that <laughs> about them. Um, so yeah, there's something, man. So there's a time crunch, right? We meet Calvin Meyer. And, and this is just a great reveal. I love that we see the Amber Alert play out on the television, San Angelo, Texas. And we see these three men behind this nice desk. Uh, you know, very responsible looking white people, which I appreciate, <laughs> right? They all are, they're all, uh, they're all, uh, they're all older. Well, one of them's younger, but you know, middle-aged to older white men, which immediately made me feel a little safer. Oh, I can trust them. Oh, I was like, whew, the first scene was a little rough. Those boys were rough looking, swarthy, <laughs> maybe even swarthy, you could say. But, uh, when we got to a more brightly lit spot where there was, Nice, handsome, and uh, and trustworthy whites. I felt a lot better about the movie. <laughs> so there's that, right? <laughs> Dean, Dean Martin for t- uh, 2020. Put trustworthy whites back in government. <laughs> I'm such a dickhead. But um, <laughs> but anyway, and uh, you know they're describing the kid, and there are these. The, what I'm, what I really want to say is these men have these grim faces. They're like part of this. We know that they're connected to this. And uh, the way Sam Shepard kind of just turns off the TV and Levi, played by Scott Hayes, of course, says, what did the ranch, what did the ranch put this out? Ranch, capital R. Hmm, Mm -hmm. interesting. This place is the ranch. To which Calvin says, no, this is something else. And in this very sort of brief exchange, we learn that Calvin Meyer, of course, played by the great late Sam Shepard, basically just says, the Lord has placed a heavy burden on you. And he tells mm-hmm. these men, I think it's Doak, D-O-A-K, that's Bill Camp, who I love. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we, we go, whoa. Like, the, the way we are, are given information in this movie is one of the things that makes the movie good. But at the same time, it's one of the things that kind of hurts the movie at the end, right? As, yeah, exactly. As it goes on. Sure. So we're getting this cool information. We're learning about these characters. And... I like that we're not, one of the things this movie does to build intrigue is it starts to show you things and then it shows you another thing that doesn't, that you wouldn't logically come to the conclusion of if you had 10 guesses, but it still makes sense when revealed. And that's what's fucking cool about it, right? Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is we go, oh, this must be the kid's father. And this is him at his office doing his normal white guy job. Right. <laughs> and then we go, whoa, he's, he's a pastor. Whoa, holy shit. This is, this is a whole compound. Whoa. The kids from, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's cool the way these, this, these bits of information are sort of, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say as the slack is let out on the plot and we get to scoop it up a little bit. It it's, we're like, oh, this is delicious. Like, this is intriguing to me. I like the, you know, me and cults. I like that these, <laughs> I like that these guys are scooting this kid from a cult and trying to get away. And, and this guy, Calvin tasks Levi and Doak, these stoic looking men to his right and left with finding him. And I go, wow, 
this is cool. This is like some modern sort of like Knights Templar shit. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and what he says to to Doke is so is so ominous. Where he's like, "What you do now will decide, you know, the our way of life for all of us." And you have mm-hmm. four days to get this kid back. And then he also goes on to say that he won't give him up easily, and that's it. Like basically implying this is going to become violent. Like be be ready for that. Uh, and then off off into the the chapel he goes. And did you notice what you know? They don't even quote the Bible here. Yeah, um, I, I remember I'm going back and he was like, we're going to start with our reading from March 17th, 2011. Yeah. And then they quote a whole bunch of numbers. Uh, and then he talks about, you know, to know the buildings, to know the light, to know the source of such things is to know our place in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's so mysterious. When you're like, wait a minute, this looks like some very hyper-traditionalist Christian sect, but no, there's, there's something else going on here. They're not quoting the Bible. Yeah, yeah. It's another great well, layer to the mystery. What was the what was the religion made in like like modern day Mormonism? <laughs> yeah, thank you, yeah, yeah. Joseph Smith. <laughs> That's basically this. But um, yeah, I, I like that he's quoting this. We learned that there's a significant date. That date is four days away, and some nice shots here too. The school bus is coming over the hill. Um, the way oh, that's yeah. lit, that scene looks amazing, and we're like, "Ooh, what's going on here? This is this is odd." And then we, the we government's to... jackbooted thugs, <laughs> clipping off the locks of these god fearing people, yeah, storming yeah. their compound. Yep, here they come, Ruby little, ridging it as they would call a little, little tack team, all stacked up real nice, coming through the gate, <laughs> and um, no shots are fired. They um, these people uh, don't put up any resistance whatsoever. They are sort of taken unawares as uh, this FBI man just sort of waltzes in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like how he goes straight up to the pastor and he talks to him off mic for a second, and then he just gets back on the you know the the pulpit mic and he's like, "Friends, this this man is from the federal government. Uh, suggest you listen to him well." Yep. And everybody yep. just calmly follows the instructions, file out, get on all these school buses. So this has been something evidently on the FBI's radar for a while. This operation has been planned well ahead. Indeed, and I believe this probably has something to do with the missing kid. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but they've, they've definitely been keeping an eye on this group of people, too, before right. they were probably aware. Right, and I think that makes, in, 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 in what lends credence to that is the fact that they're all seemingly preparing for something within the next few days, which is going to be a concern. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they've that been makes- listening in, if they've been paying attention, they the, the federal government has the significant dates just as much as the ranch has significant dates because they probably aren't overly secretive about them. Right. I'm sure it's right. hard to have a couple of agents planted in that group of people. True. It's a pretty big group. So um, we see them being detained and apparently moved, and everyone's pretty polite here, except for the you know forcible detaining and relocation of people. And we <laughs> cut back to our friends driving at night with, uh, <laughs> I like how he's wearing NVG goggles as they just drive down the street. Dude, like I, I love that, that they cut the lights on their car even. I mean, they're trying to stay as low profile as possible right. uh, and just gunning it up, up the fucking road. And that moment is so good too. And he put, you know, we've passed through three counties. I'd like to go ahead and slow down. And that's what he, you know, he's trying to be careful. And then he takes off his you know, night vision goggles. And the moment he's putting them away, that's when, you know, this car appears in front of them and sets right. up a great scene, man. Oh, great scene. It's so good. This, um, this scene is excellent because it immediately tells us that these guys are 
very motivated to do whatever it is they're trying to do. Oh yeah. And very motivated as well. Like they're right. not, they're not shaky about this. I mean, you know, they're not excited about it, but they're willing to do whatever it takes. And, and honestly, I feel like that kind of gets at the real heart of the whole movie is just about conviction and, and faith and that you will do whatever it takes to get this done. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we, and we see that on display here. And, one of the important things about the conviction and the faith as a theme in the movie is that it also lends credence to the mystery of the boy. Exactly, exactly. That there right. must be something massive. Like I, I like that, again, kind of like how we don't get any corny-ass dialogue talking about the boy or flashback showing his powers growing like some shitty X-Man movie. Like We just see the way the rest of the people around him are behaving and how seriously they take it. And that lends credence to, wow, there really must be something important going on here. This this kid must really be important. Right. So in the aftermath of the accident, a uh, state trooper arrives on the scene. And of course, <clears throat> one of the things I actually really appreciate about this scene that I thought was unexpected, but also helped humanize these characters was the way Lucas responds to the person that's hurt in the accident. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's an important moment in this movie and it and it's an important part of this part of the movie because we then go, oh, okay. So even though these guys seem like they're on this grim crazy mission, they there's a humanity to them that's important here because we establish it. And then we take those expectations and we just sort of flip them on their head because this cop, by the way, has no creep to him. <laughs> no get back in your cruiser and make that call dude what are you doing these guys are armed and dangerous man right dude, like he, he can't help himself like he makes the i think a more experienced officer here kind of just notices it and and you know there's there's an apb out on this fucking on this group right well and also the dumbest thing he does is that he's already got one gun on him and then a shotgun trained on him and then he tries to draw I'm like no what would you no you're not gonna win that john yeah. wick wouldn't fucking win that in real life like yeah. John You're Wick not would win fucking, it probably. Well, John Wick, maybe, yeah. but that's I mean, it. Let's be real. Like, and hey, guess what? You're not John Wick. Yeah. You're not going to draw down on these other two guys who already have guns on you faster. Right. And that's what we see here. We see we we see explicit dialogue that says Alton is more important. Right. And, and um, I, I, I love this. It's a disagreement they have right here. It's very quick, but he's like, get back in the car because, you know, uh, Roy gets out and points a shotgun at him. You know, what happened right before that was that the officer noticed that this was the car that had the APB and he just kind of started to lean towards his radio. And of course, you know, uh, Lucas was paying more attention and just says, don't, and draws his gun on him. Uh, which I know if things had gone the way he wanted to, he probably would have just been like, all right, give me your gun, give me your right. radio. I'm going to throw your keys in the fucking woods and we're going to get out of here. And that's that. Yep. Um, and, but instead, you know, Roy escalated it, pointed the gun at him. He's like, shoot him. Alton's more important. And now, you know, you just made it a, a threat to the officer, you know, a, a, a verbal straight up threat. And it's like, okay, now he's good, definitely going to react worse. Uh, and that's why I think Roy is pissed off in the next scene where he's like, you, you made that worse. So and let me fucking handle it. And it's dynamic. We see him care about the person in the car. We then see him willing to shoot the police officer. We then see him willing to get on the radio and call an officer down for a medevac. Well, not a medevac, but like a, you know, like a, for, for an ambulance to come. Like, he, you know, that he's, we right. see humanity mixed in with this sort of higher purpose, which I appreciate. 
it makes the characters more human to me. Totally. No, I agree. I think it's a great, the, the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie are so excellent. Just oh, yeah. establishing the scene, the feeling, the characters, and not their motivation, but how far they're willing to go for their goal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the movie moves at a, at a real good clip here. It, it's, uh, what's, what's the runtime? An hour and 50? It moves quick. Yeah. Solid, man. <laughs> but yeah, All right. you try, you know, Roy tries to reassure, you know, the kid here. Uh, telling him everything's fine and buckled in. But like we were saying, this is also the moment where, where Lucas is kind of like, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have been that way back there, man. Let me handle it. I, I also like, we, we, which will, we, will be revealed later in the film, is that, that uh, Lucas was a state trooper. So obviously there's some yeah. camaraderie between him and the downed officer. Right, and he also knew all the right codes to say too. He's like, officer down, 1018. Yep. Like, just, oh, wow, you, you know your shit. I just like the professional courtesy as well as the humanity. Right, right. They're both just, they seem like decent people. So we see the church group being organized. They're given some questionnaires. And on that questionnaire, we see a question about Alton Meyer. What is it exactly? Um, it, it asks about him. It's like, have you ever interacted with him or something? Right, right. Like, what's the, have you ever, you know, how well do you know Alton Meyer? That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. That is a great question. So now we know that Alton Meyer is the reason that the ranch has been getting zeroed in on for as long as it has been. Like you, like you sort of conjectured, they must've been watching for a while. You don't, you don't just get this giant no knock warrant to roll in here with a tack team. If you don't have some sort of probable cause and something from a judge that says, yes, you can, you can search the premises, not just that, but you can detain and question people. I mean, that's big time. So this, this Alton thing we know is big. We're starting to see the impact we're starting to see Alton's impact on the world at large. Exactly. That he is being noticed. This is a secret they've been trying to keep that they can't keep anymore. Uh, also, I mean, just really good screenwriting. And this is what I mean, man. We're, we're seeing so much of this movie take place without the need for dialogue. And I know I'm a broken record when I talk about that, but because I appreciate it so much, I like seeing it when it happens. I like seeing it. And that's, we know exactly what's going on in this movie just from watching it, you know? Um, nobody has to say anything about Alton Meyer. Nobody mentions his name in any of this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We just go, there's a connection here. What is it? Oh, Alton Meyer. Oh, Calvin Meyer. Oh, that must be his kid. Oh, whoa, crazy, right? So we start making good. these connections. Right. And with so visual is, cues. Exactly. And that's that's the withholding of information that I like, where we have just enough, just enough clues as the audience to start making the connections ourselves and seeing it and adding more detail in our own minds to the following scene of like, oh, that's why they're behaving this way because they have this relationship. I didn't understand that. Now I do. And the movie didn't have to spoon feed me. Like that shit's great. Yep. We do start to get into a place where we need a little bit of an explanation though. And that's, we've been watching you for six months and the reason we're here is because of the large acquisition of firearms over the course of six months. Now, months. Now, what's interesting about this is that this cult, this religious sect, whatever you want to call it, named The Ranch, has probably been around a lot longer than six months to be established the way they have been. Totally, so yeah. this also becomes an intriguing piece of information that's given to us by the federal agent. And, and the reason it's cool is because we think, oh, so they've not been this way the whole rest of the time they've been around. So this is a shift in behavior that has gotten the FBI's attention. And that's interesting. It's almost like they're preparing right. for something. 
Exactly. I think that's that's what it probably was. It was right, that, right. Probably what they even got, you know, the warrant for was that, yeah, we've been keeping our eye on them. They're a group that we're monitoring, but it seems like things are escalating. We better go ahead and, and you know, like intervene or like find out what's going on right now. Correct. So, and this is where uh, Paul Sparks as Miller sort of hands off a lot of the rest of this movie to Adam Driver, who's going to play Sevier. Paul Sevier. <laughs> and uh, he's with, um, what? National security. Yeah, that's right. NSA. Uh, fun, fun fact about this that I saw uh, that evidently his first day, Adam Driver's first day on set was the same day that he got the call that he was going to be cast as Kylo Ren, which is like, damn. Uh, so he's in a great fucking mode. <laughs> he's in a mood. great fucking mood. Well, I'm going to get that Star Wars money. Oh, <laughs> shit. Hell yeah. Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> he's like, I don't have to pretend Lena Dunham's hot anymore. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can move on. Yeah, I don't have to fuck that pig. Woohoo! <laughs> Bring on <Yikes>. Ray. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. But anyway, um he shows Calvin some paperwork. Um he says the following Meridian Alpha, Red Saber, fifty three twenty three seventy seven one twenty seven. Um Calvin says, Oh, these are sermon excerpts. And that's when when Calvin says he wrote these down. And Sevier reveals that the words and numbers contain sensitive information which were transmitted by satellite and also encrypted, which is literally a crime of treason. Yeah. And Calvin says it came from the boy. So this is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. So now that I've seen the movie, I, I know that I kind of understand, understand the scene better, which is the ranch has sort of elevated all and up to this sort of messianic status and the information that he was blurting out, which Calvin took it upon himself to write down is actually information that Alton gleaned with his fucking Akira powers from some (laughs) highly encrypted government satellite. That's really cool. Very cool. That is a really cool concept. Yeah. That he can just somehow intercept and hear these, these, numbers these patterns and decipher them it's like that that's the craziest part it's not even that he can just hear them which is already fucking wild but the fact that he can decipher this encryption and i think even you know paul is like that's mathematically impossible like you can't do that like there's no code breaking of that shit so it's but at this point it. where if you're calvin aren't you like huh well i guess our religion is kind of bullshit <laughs> kind of a little bit <laughs> You're like, oh, that's what? It's just a bunch of fucking fed shit? So, like, the kid found a monster manual, third edition, in the woods, and we base our religion around it? Whoops. Oops. (laughs) And also, I mean, you know, it's like, uh uh-oh. We gotta, you gotta do the math on this, which is kind of funny, because it's already been established that Alton is eight years old, and I'm assuming he wasn't talking. I mean, he was probably a fast learner, because he's a fucking, you know, highly evolved alien child. Um, But, I imagine, right? Like, he was probably starting to talk around, you know, three, four. Uh, and so this religion, well, maybe they were, you know, what What I really like to think about is maybe they were a regular, more traditional Christian sect before this kid I, I think speaking. that's what happened. Right. And their their whole thing started to morph yeah. when they were like, oh, this kid's actually the mouth of God. And we got to pay attention to what he's, he's our prophet. Yeah. Sadly, some of the intrigue, which is left uncovered, I think kind of hurts it a little bit in, towards the end. Because it does leave a lot of questions, and I think one of them is, so wait a minute, right? When we start, we, we talked about this with our Star Wars pods. We covered Insurrection last week, and the week before that, we covered Generations, right? And we do a lot, obviously, a much different film here. 
But I think one of the things that we do is we start to, we ask ourselves questions, right? We start to go, hmm, wait a second. That's one of the advantages. One of the advantages and disadvantages of a Star Trek film, in my opinion, is that it's a Star Trek film. So you have some established characters and all this stuff. So a lot of that heavy lifting is done. But at the same time, you're going to have nerds asking questions about your plot if it's not airtight. <laughs> right. Yep. Got to look out for them internet nerds. Right. Whereas in this, I'm like coming to learn and know who these characters are. And I find myself falling within to the with into the excitement and the intrigue of the story. And I'm less interested about the larger questions of the plot at this time, because I am so caught up in the chase in the intrigue. It's only right. afterwards where I start wondering the questions. So it's right. almost so like the, a backwards way to look at it versus an established canon, like Star Trek, if that makes sense. Right. Right. Because you're, you know, those movies have to build off of, you know, a foundation that's already there. And this gets the kind of, you know, the freedom to just start running with a story and painting this cool picture without having to explain. There's advantages and disadvantages to both. I guess I could have just said that much more succinctly. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can't be always succinct. This is a podcast. We got to pad that time. (laughs) That's true. Where are we? What are we up to? Oh, Jesus. Have we got enough to call it quits? Yeah. No, not quite. Uh, check the clock. All right, we've got to keep talking. Uh, Michael Shannon's good. <laughs> the biggest fucking hacks. Michael oh, Shannon, Christ. I mean, boy, what an actor. <laughs> yeah. Riveting observation. Yeah, 42 minutes. We need some. We need to go a little longer, I think. So where were we? <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I, I, I like this. I like this moment where where Sevier, we, we are upping the stakes a bit here. We're starting to learn the government's interest in this case. Right. They, I guess they've essentially <clears throat> been detecting that their shit is being intercepted. Well, the boy speaks in tongues, sometimes other languages, and sometimes unknown languages. We wrote them down, and they became our scripture. These are the words of the Lord, Calvin says. <laughs> or the federal government. To which Miller just says, where's the boy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You ha- you all have no clue what you're dealing with here, Calvin says. And boy, he's right about that. He is right. Definitely and the music right. comes in. Awesome. Awesome close right. out to the scene. Sham Sh- Sam Shepard's great here, right? He just has oh, so Sam much Shepard's gravitas. So you have no Dude, clue I didn't what you're realize, like, and then, Sam boom. Shepard, he obviously had you know a long, really solid career as an actor. Uh, had, maybe we've talked about this before. Maybe we talked about it a little bit on Assassination of Jesse James. But fucking hell. Man won a Pulitzer Prize for playwriting. Like, shit. Like, God, so fucking accomplished. Most, that is, like, the most Matthew Anderson dream of all time. I fuck, yeah. Fuck, you, you get money with that, you know? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, just, I'm always impressed by people who can fucking do, I mean, he directed yeah. movies, he starred in them, he wrote fucking Pulitzer Prize-winning plays. I'm like, God damn. Yeah. Fucking dude did everything. He played Chuck Yeager. You ever watch Bloodline? No, I have not. Dude, you you should watch good. the first season of Bloodline. Him and Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> oh, God. The Rayburns. What a so fucked good. up. The, 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 dude, the cast in that show, the, the Kyle Chandler, um, Linda Cardinal, Card- Cardellini. Oh, she's uh, great. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Jacinda Barrett, Jamie McShane, Sissy Spacek, Katie Finnerman. Damn. Damn, that's a good cast. Ben Mendelsohn and Ready. Ready for my nice. Uh oh. Chloe Savigny. Oh, love Chloe Savigny. God, that girl's dirty. Um, <laughs> dirty girl. I got to remember her when I'm making my top five lists. She would be oh. just a fun old time. She's an all-timer, for sure. All-timer. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. The music rolls in. 
and uh, we go back to where the rest of our group. And they are they are meeting up with a former member of the ranch, Eldon. Mm. Uh, I guess they must have still some contact with him. He must be a little sympathetic to the idea of getting Alton out of there. Um, right, which is a which is honestly a, a mystery that I think about maybe even more so than the way this movie ends, uh, because I think it's very odd and fascinating the idea that this this you know, we'll just call them a religion, the ranch. Um, they were obviously, I guess, intending to get Alton to the same place. Am I wrong there? Like they were, like they know about the, the location he's supposed to go to. That's important on this date. They were wanting to get him there because that's kind of central to their whole religious idea. So why would Roy want to remove him and take him to the same place on his own? Like he did, he think they were going to be harmful to Alton. Did he just think that it was that they were misguided in their belief? But he still thought Alton's important. It's it's, it's in, an interesting divide that we never get a resolution on. Um. Yes, I think I think it's at this point where I am not exactly sure, and it's not exactly stated. I don't know. I think we know that Roy is not part of the ranch. Uh, I know. I think he he was he was a part of the ranch before. Before, like this, right? Him him taking Alton away was him breaking off from the ranch. Right. Correct. Um. And exactly why I'm not I'm not too sure. I I don't I exactly. there's we don't know about the rift driven between them. We're not sure. And I know part of it is that uh, Calvin had taken had basically adopted um, Alton for himself and was raising him like his own son. So it's like there's some weird coercion thing of like let him be my child. You know, some weird I, commandment. That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe right. But he must is have it, you know. He agreed to it because he watched him raise him for two years. You know, later on, Kirsten Dunst's character says, "But there must have been there must be some break in that he didn't trust what Calvin wanted to do with him." Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I I don't know if it's the kind of thing. <sighs> yeah, I didn't realize Roy had it. So so that is a little confusing. So Roy did watch him grow. Uh, he well, watched he watched Calvin raise him. Yeah, yeah. That's what Kirsten Dunst says. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's strange. It's strange because, you know, I, I'm thinking like, well, aren't you were a part of this religion and you, this, your son was obviously a central part of it and you allowed for him to be raised by this guy for two years. What was the breaking point? What, what made you take him away and literally leave the ranch, which is, I, I think, the, a big part of Roy's life because he even talks to Eldon in this you know, scene a little later where he's like, you know, do you miss being on the ranch? Like, how is it like off? And even Eldon's like, oh, I do miss it. And you can see that this is kind of a struggle for for Roy as well, like breaking away from that that life, that lifestyle, and he's gonna, you know, very much so. You know that both of these guys, uh, Lucas and Roy, know that their lives as they know it end with this whole journey, even if they live through it. Like the shit's gonna, you you just went on the run from the fucking feds and your the, the ranch cult. So yeah, things are gonna be not great from this, but they're willing to do it. The only thing I can think of is that news of Alton's powers have started to, I guess, grow. But I don't know. Isn't that why Sarah sort of took off too? I'm trying to think as to what would motivate Roy to, if if he allowed him to be adopted into the call, what would cause him to to adopt him and run off? If unless he was just afraid of the growing concern with everything going on with Alton and his special purpose, maybe he just as his biological father got this need to want to be the one to take care of him during this crazy time of this kid going through this greater purpose. It's uh, right. it's a pretty wild mind fuck if, if you think about it, right? Yeah, and maybe he just thinks that the, the, the church, the ranch, whatever, is misinterpreting what, what Alton is saying, and he realizes more like the truth of it. 
I don't know. Right. Right. But it's an, it's an interesting schism. Right. But um, it could have just been cult custom, and then I don't know what drove him to take take him and run. Right. Yeah. Tough to say. Tough to say. Yeah. All right. So we don't have an answer for that. I don't think the movie no. really answers that either, though. No, not really. But um, back at the Eldon Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> Homestead. They're learning that this manhunt is becoming larger, perhaps national. Um, no word on the state trooper, which is interesting. And then there's this cool moment where Roy says he doesn't think the ranch would release this, to which Lucas sets the record straight, and he and he just says to uh, Roy, don't interfere with me again. Like, stay out of my way in those types of situations, right? <laughs> right. Interesting tension. And then Roy asks Eldon if he misses living on the ranch, like you already said. Yeah. And then not much more comes of this. Well, he does bring up, and it's funny because Roy actually shuts him down. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to talk. Like, I'm ready just to you know, re- relax. Um, but he starts bringing up this whole idea of ley lines. Have you ever heard of this? Ley lines. Yes, I have actually. Yeah, the, uh, the alignments of landmarks, religious sites, and man-made structures. And it's you know, kind of some pseudoscience-y belief shit, but it's still mm-hmm. it's interesting in the way it's applied to this movie uh, because it, it's kind of this belief that the lines between those places are not accidental and that you know, basically the paths between them and the spaces between them have some kind of significance or you can, you know, there's something between them. Right, yep. Like the alignment of cities along a map or, so, or something, right? Right. Yeah. Which I'm like, you know, it's probably more so because they're next to water sources, but whatever. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I have done zero research on it, so I couldn't yeah, tell Yeah, I have you. no fucking idea. <laughs> and by research, I mean I've never listened to other people smarter than me that know about it, discuss it, and then I copy what they say. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. I haven't assimilated the knowledge that's out there from smarter, greater men than me. <laughs> <laughs> bigger dicks uh stronger chests bigger dicks all, all around much better lovers probably a plus lovers <laughs> yeah but no great great scene here too where we finally get a real glimpse of this is of sick man alton's powers when you know roy is shaken awake as the entire house starts to throttle and he immediately knows what this means too like i love how he's not confused by it uh, him and Lucas both go running down to Alton's bedroom, and you just see Eldon locked into this, like, he, he's locked into a, a gaze with, with Alton as he's beaming this fucking Cyclops ray into his eyes. It's crazy, dude. I love this. Which, it's- at first, I'm not gonna lie, my first, uh, like, knee-jerk reaction here was like, oh, was he coming into the bedroom to be a creep? Uh-oh. Oh, Really? For like a split second, I'm like, oh, was he being a creep? But then, you know, in the very next scene, he's like, I just, I had to see it one more time. I had to see what he can show us. So I mean, yeah. that's a big part of their, of his former religion at the ranch. So yeah, you want to get a glimpse at your prophet one more time before he goes off to alien heaven or wherever. Spooning your friend's child who had a nightmare is not being creepy either. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that is I'm pretty wild, good, man. The fucking, it looks amazing. Uh, I didn't hear anything so you cool. said, internet issues. So can you say that again? I think you, uh, made, just, did you make a joke? I was making a, uh, a rather lame joke about him being the boy's godfather. Yuck, 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 yuck. I laughed for you. Um, <laughs> Perfect. It looks awesome, though. It looks amazing. And then we, we jump over to, by the way, we're only 23 minutes into the movie, and it's, and it's like, whoa, some shit's going down. Right. It's cool, I mean, it man. Room-filling, house-coming-apart fucking light power. Yeah, it works. And, Good sound editing. It sounds awesome. It looks awesome. 
I like how, again, it's established how possibly dangerous this could be from, from Roy's reaction where he doesn't try to say anything or grab uh, Eldon. He just grabs a fucking lamp and whacks him across the head to get him off, mm. uh, unlocked from this trance because that's how, I guess, fierce it is. And rather than having those characters do a lame dialogue about what happened, we quickly shift scenes and we go over to Sevier interviewing members of the ranch and getting an explanation of what just happened, which is perfect. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Again, just solid filmmaking. Yeah, man. Great, we also great get script. A, uh, oh, most, yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Um, but but Alton, uh, there, we talk about, we got kind of a picture of how he was living there for a second when he's talking to this random, you know, woman who lives at the ranch and she's like, oh, I'm part of Calvin's childcare. I look after all of his children. <laughs> Super. <laughs> okay, so they all donate children to the leader, I guess. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yummy. yes, they do. Um, so we learn about how things would break, even vehicles. The woman describes... That Alton had been with him over two years, and apparently the birth mother abandoned him. Um, we learn about the communing, the which I guess is the I thing. I think that's what they said. Well, this other right. guy's name is Frederick. I thought it was going to matter, but it ended up not mattering. I captured these these people's names. They never really come back into it. But mm-hmm, um, right. and we learn about Friday, March 6th again, and this is the day of judgment, the ranch believes. You know, Frederick believes this. And then um, another woman interviewed says... Uh, that the communion has a comforting feeling to it. And Sevier says, well, tell me about the judgment day. And we learn if Alton is with us, we will be saved. Mm-hmm. Very much implying that if not, we're doomed. Indeed. Yeah. It's what's, uh, <laughs> it's the alternative that it's what she doesn't say that interests me. <laughs> it's the notes unplayed Dean. Aha. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind I, of I, like this uh, next shot here. It was uh, kind of poignant. It's this like Native American behind these people being detained for their beliefs. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a pretty true. slick shot, dude. I was like, that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> uh, as all these poor bastards stand in line to go be questioned. Yeah. And dude, how how cool is it the moment once they're, like, they're all released uh, and we see uh, Doak and the other you know younger dude who've been tasked Levi. by Calvin. What's his name? Levi. All, all the Levi. religious names, too. <laughs> Dave, right. Duck and Levi, they file straight off the bus without any hesitation and go straight back into the compound awesome. and go get their fucking gear. Go get, obviously, a sack of guns. That, that, that's the conviction that you spoke of earlier. Exactly. The like immediately they don't go. You know, it's, like the, it's like when the mafia guy gets out of, out of jail. Like, you know, I've been rewatching The Sopranos. Yeah. They go right back to work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Straight back to it. <laughs> That's a Leave different the conviction. Gun. Take the cannoli. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I like this. I like that um, we know that, um, yeah, they load up double bags of guns for their higher purpose. And um, mm-hmm. roll out. They roll out. And, dude, another another great ambiguously ended Dude, scene amazing. when we come back uh when we come back to Roy and Lucas and Lucas is you know with Alton trying to get him to eat some the kids definitely shaken up uh but they know they got to get going but before that obviously we go back to to Elton and he's just like like we were saying he's like I'm sorry I just had to see it one more time uh but I guess part of what Roy must be pissed off about is the disturbance this has caused, where it's like call, you know calling attention, um, and he tells Eldon that I'm taking your van, and he's being sat in a chair like a fucking prisoner, and he takes out the gun like, all right, man, you know where we're going, 
You've, you, I can't trust you because you looked into you know, his eyes again. You're not somebody to be trusted in this moment. I can't, I can't believe that you're going to hold it down. Uh, and and then wastes that's it. his ass. No, off he doesn't. Camera, off camera. I think no. he shoots him. No, he doesn't. Just dude, he comes back later in the movie. What are you talking? Oh, about? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Did you watch it? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but that's that's the great mystery of the scene that you think he just blasts him. Uh, right. You would, no. you would think he would. I know because the other guys uh, go after him. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we cut away from that back to them just being on the road after after taking Eldon's van. Right. Pretty cool with the with their police scanner. That's fucking handy. Wait, now I'm forgetting. Doesn't the, he does get? Doesn't he get got though by the other guys? I I think it's implied that they kill him. I don't think it's shown though. Okay, I couldn't yeah. remember. <laughs> I, that's where I was like trying to remember. Don't they? I thought there was another implication of of Eldon's death, possibly. I think so. I think yeah. so. Or I'm just a fucking silly brains. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> you me? got goof em ups brains. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, from here we move quickly. We move oh, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and I also, dude, I love this little this little moment between uh, Roy and Lucas. It's such a great difference between them. Where <laughs> Alton's in the back reading a Superman comic, uh, and he's like, "What's Kryptonite?" And you know, Lucas is like, "Oh, it's the only thing that can kill Superman." And then, of course, Roy's like, "Ah, it's just made up." You know, I wish you hadn't even given him those comics. And Lucas is like, "Well, that's why I gave it to him. He's never seen a comic in his life." This, I just love that difference between the obviously formerly extremely religious person, outside influences, and media, and you know his friend who's not, who's like, "Nah, his kid needs to see some shit." Yeah, give yeah. him a, give him a, something to look at. Right, and the irony of discussing how something like that could not be real as they transport a child with beaming light ball eyes around in the car. Dude, right. Yeah, he's like, he needs to know what's real. I'm like, he fucking has X-Man powers. And I'm like, you, none of you know what's real, clearly. Look at the kid in your back seat. Who the fuck knows now? <laughs> Seriously. Batman might have, uh, might be driving down the street on the other highway. Who knows? I don't know. He's just a rich guy. That's believable. But no, this but, is also the, the where, where Lucas brings up the mo- point that he's starting to look weaker. He's starting mm-hmm. to look more frail. There's a couple of points here. There's also um, don't forget don't forget Michael Shannon was in Superman right yeah he was General Zod yeah you know what uh, Michael Shannon this is something I discovered right before we started recording his very first role in film ever was the character Fred in Groundhog Day no shit and I was like I do not remember him in Groundhog Day but that was his very first movie hmm. crazy good old Michael Shannon um another thing is revealed here is this almost um, omniscient perception. The boy is oh, that, speaking verbatim as it's being spoken, the Spanish that they then tune to on the radio. That is an awesome moment. Oh, yeah. But I think I think it's literally that he can hear and, like, pick up radio signals. <laughs> like, all of those, you know, kind of ethereal signals that we use all the time, like he can just, like, see and hear them and pluck them out of the ether and right. decipher which, them. Which, which sort of... St- still kind of makes the point of his omniscient perception because everything is wirelessly transmitted. So right. Like all the data and information going, he's privy to, and he gets it before it hits the actual receiver of the radio, which is why he can speak it as it's happening. So so it, it gives the illusion of clairvoyance. Although I think he does have some clairvoyance too, or we're led to believe. Mm-hmm. And another another great thing that this scene establishes in a subtle way is that 
Lucas doesn't really know Alton that well. Like there, it's not like he's some old longtime friend who also broke away from the ranch. No, like this is, he's never really had too much exposure to Alton before this because, you know, Roy's like, oh, well watch this. And he turns on the radio to show him and he's just kind of shaking his head like, wow, he can also do that. Like he is still learning things about Alton. And that's, that's an interesting point here that these are not uh, guys who've been around each other recently. Not recently, but I believe that we're led to believe that they have a very strong bond from their oh, past. Yeah. In their past, exactly. Yeah. But I don't think he, I don't think you know before a couple of days ago because he, he wasn't part Alton. of the ranch. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. So they stop at the truck stop and uh, they leave Alton in the vehicle, and of course, this leads to this amazing moment. Oh, uh, this so amazing good. visual moment is awesome, man. The fucking lights in the sky, and then what I assume was meteoroids crashing to Earth. That's what I thought at first. It was not, and I was like, "Oh, he's got this." Is like doomsday. This is part of some end of the world shit. He's the Jesus kid, right? That's that's where my mind went. Mm-hmm. Less into the practical. Oh, it's a satellite that came down. Totally. No, I, I thought the same thing at first. Too. I was like, "Did he just call down fucking fire from the sky? Some right. fucking ancient Egyptian god's wrath shit?" Absolutely. And by the way, who are you, lady, touching this kid's goggles? Get the fuck back in your car. Dude, yeah, what's up with that? I'm like, I can totally understand, uh, like, approaching a kid who looks to be by himself in a parking lot and being like, sure. Yeah, and be like, hey, are, are you all right? But one to walk up and be like, what's all this? Like, hey, none of your, this is the kid you don't know. Like, why are you touching him? Fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but also, this is, uh, we, you know, Roy makes a quick phone call here. We don't know who he's uh, talking to, but he's saying, hey, we'll be there soon in a couple hours so that we know where he's headed to the next known location. They're not just right. heading straight off to the final place. As, I, as we're sitting here talking about this movie, my mind wanders to the possibilities of to the unanswered question that we posed to each other earlier, which is why would Roy leave the confines of the ranch and it's very possible that it's just that simple feeling like I can hide him better than the cult. Because if if Roy was Ooh. still at right, if Roy was still at the ranch and the ranch was still and they were all there and the FBI showed up, Alton's goose is cooked. Like they have him. That's true. That so it's true. possible they're like, we lack the mobility and the ability to hide him because we're centrally located at a compound. If I sort of uh make a run for it. Now that doesn't explain so obviously he does that without their permission because obviously they're concerned that they don't know what he's doing. Otherwise they wouldn't have sent Doak and Levi after him. Right. Right. So it still doesn't explain like him doing that. Sure. But is it, do they just, it could just be a simple thing like, Oh, the dad's gone rogue and this kid's our fucking savior. We write scriptures based on his glossolalia. How's that for a word? <sighs> Ah, here's your 50 cents. 50 cents? Come on, 50 bucks, bitch. (laughs) Pay me. But no, um, right? Doesn't it seem as such that they are just like, you're you're sort of violating the the cult by, first of all, you don't leave these things. I mean, that's- No. And so that's part of the problem right there. And I think that's why we're seeing the stakes rested upon the kid, which is very much their messianic figure. I believe that's why they are dispatching themselves with motivated- violence towards retrieving him um so maybe that's maybe that's kind of what i'll settle on is that you know i also prob- think you know i mean it's your kid at the end of the day and it starts getting dicey you don't want to get him the fuck out of there right i also i i talking about it i just kind of realized another obvious thing 
that maybe he just wants Alton to be, be able to see his mom again, you know, maybe for one more time because his mom obviously left the church and, you know, the church refers to her as a, having abandoned Alton. And maybe Roy's just like, no, I want him to be able to, to be in, with and, you know, spend some time with his biological mom before he ascends or whatever is going to happen. Got it. All right. So. Yeah. Solved. Solved. <laughs> Next question. So, yeah, this, this visual shit here is amazing, dude. Oh, it's so good. Amazing. Just <laughs> streaking in from the sky. It looks like the fucking, what on earth is this? And then and I love how start... ominous it is that he just apologizes first. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm dude. sorry. I'm really sorry about what just happened. And then you just see them fucking streaking out of the sky. It's <laughs> so crazy looking. I'm sorry about the Navy satellite billion dollar piece of equipment, dad. That I destroyed with my mind. Oops. Uh, yeah, can we get on a, you're like in front of the judge, can I get a payment plan? He's like, sure, it'll be paid off in one million years. Yeah, we're we're going to go ahead and put a lien on your salary as, I don't know, a foreman somewhere. <laughs> Forever. For a million years. For year, 17 and generations. <laughs> exactly. Y'all children's children's That's children. so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my God. So we can have our uh, unconstitutional device in the sky listening to everybody's private conversations. <laughs> But if you got nothing to hide, dude, just bend the knee. <laughs> Lick <Yep>. the boot. <laughs> oh, fuck. Anyway, um, what are you doing? My cat's being a banana head. So, um, <laughs> all right. Uh, but yeah, uh, they peel off in their van. And this yes. is also when we notice uh, Alton starting to have a nosebleed. And oh, a little Stranger Things bleeding. action. What's that? little Stranger Things action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mind powers. <laughs> You and that fucking bull teaser. Uh, I love it. Come uh, on, Mrs. Mm. Wheeler. Uh, no Mrs. Wheeler wait. in this movie, though. No, unfortunately. Just mm. Spider-Man's girlfriend. Yeah, she's getting a little long in the tooth. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think she's still looking pretty good. I know, I'm being you know, an you asshole. You know what they did? You know what it is? They're totally just, they're planing her up for this role. They're trying to plane her up. They're <laughs> They're planing her. I'm serious. They're librarian her for she's, this role. She's not even old. She's, she's probably like, what, 34? Uh, I think she's in her late 30s. <laughs> but still. But, but you know, look at this. I actually paused her. 36 minutes and two seconds is a great shot of her. She Even though she left the cult, you know she's still got that like lingering, I don't really know normal world fashion sense. I'm very plain. I have this long braid. My hair is fucking six feet long because I'm religious. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. She definitely, she definitely has that like, you know, the, the pastor humps me because Jesus said so. <laughs> look to her. <laughs> I accept this for some reason. Yep. Well, it says right here in these documents that this guy wrote in 1973. So <laughs> <laughs> he said he got inspired by God and saw it on gold tablets that we can't look at. So, so just I respect his wishes and I swallow uh, Calvin's mighty and holy pole. <laughs> Religion. It's, it says so from God. I think it from, says it told right to me here. by somebody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to fuck him because Jesus said so, said somebody else about saying that from somebody else. <laughs> it's written down right here on this legal pad in 1974. Okay? It's legit as fuck. Oh, fuck. 
So yellow um, legal pad and crayon. Yeah. So <laughs> so every fortnight I climb up upon his mighty pole and I um ride him until uh until he fires his holy water into me. That's what <laughs> we do. Holy water. <laughs> yep. And hell is waiting for you. Well, <laughs> SGE is waiting for you. <laughs> but um Alton's mom, Lucas and Sarah meet for the first time. Um, she it. says she missed the boy, of course, and they go into her house. She claims to have a present for him. And um, he plays with some cool Legos. Sarah and Roy share an intimate handhold, so there's still a fondness here. And Lucas right. cleans his firearm. And then they go to bed. Mom tucks him in. I have the feeling it was purely a a religious split between them, a belief split. I think they still care about one another as individuals a lot. You yeah, kinda, I think you it's, get that sense between I, them. I think it's she kind of split when the boy had really weird powers, which kind of makes me start to like sort of round this out a little more. She realizes the kid has power, so she kind of splits a little bit. Although there is that symbolic moment of her cutting her hair at the end, which would almost signify she's letting go of her cult past. I think so, yeah. But she's already kind of out of it, so maybe this is a complete severing, a, a metaphorical as well as a literal severing. Right. Right, because I think that that's again all. It's all the visual clues, but I think even you know I was making jokes about it, but just the way that she does dress and look, and like she still no, absolutely. seems like she's you know out of place in like a modern culture and is not comfortable with it yet. And I imagine she still holds on to a lot of that. And by the end, I think yeah, she's, she's resolved. And I think maybe what happened is is she split. Roy kind of stuck around for a little while longer, and maybe that's how it went down. Indeed, I just and one make dude, them up, one, baby. <laughs> you can glam it up. Come on, you're still Kirsten Dunst. Um, but no, make I, uh, it up as you go, go, go. <laughs> I think a great kind of subversion uh, of normal movie tropes in this next scene is that it's Lucas being like, "Hey, Roy, he he really does look sick and, and weaker. I think we should maybe try and find a, a way to get him help, get him to see a doctor." And Roy, his father's one, it's like, "No, it's only three days. He'll make it. We don't mm-hmm. need to worry about that." I was like, "Whoa, damn, it's pretty." pretty staunch position to take as a father. I think your kid might die. He's like, nah, he'll be fine. Yeah. The thing I like about that moment is that it's, it's showing you that Roy has some sort of religious conviction, whereas Lucas has a more like, all right, I'm in this for my buddy. He has a more pragmatic approach, which is where, which is Lucas. And then the more devout approach is, is sort of Roy, right? Right, right. That Roy is in this for, Roy believes pure- that something is going to happen because he believes in this bigger purpose. And exactly. Lucas is loyal to it for for reasons not entirely known, other than his trust in Roy and the fact that he's probably witnessed some things that this kid right. has done, which is just like what the fuck. And I think, and I think he's mostly motivated by just the welfare of Roy and Alden. That like I want to help keep them safe. Sure, and I know they're going to be pursued, and I know they probably don't know how to handle it. And I'm a state trooper, so I can actually help. Yep, I can. Do I think it. that's a big part of it. Yeah. But it's cool. I mean, it's a cool moment of like of Lucas being the one that's like, I, I don't think we should keep pressing on. Maybe we should look at in, into the, the welfare of, of of Alton. But Roy's like, no, I, I I have belief that he will be okay. I'm not concerned with how it appears. Good stuff. Yeah. And dude, great fucking scene with <sighs> Levi and Doak here. I fucking love this. This is awesome, man. Just the, the opening dialogue to this scene, I fucking love. They're just staring out at this house. We don't know whose house. I mean, even the tension, the underlying tension here of we don't know where they are. Maybe they're right outside of, of Sarah's house. They're right there waiting. We don't know. But Doke's first line, I'm an electrician. Yeah, it's awesome. That's so, that's so great. We know what these guys are up to. We already know they're essentially church hitmen at this point. But his first line, I'm an electrician. 
certified in two states. What do I know about these things? Ah, oh, it's so good. That's such a great establishing of how in over their heads each of these guys are. And uh, I like that. I like that it shows that Calvin entrusted these guys simply because they can be trusted. Right, exactly. Right. I know I can They're rely devout on and you. they can be trusted. That goes a long matters. fucking way. It does. I it mean, goes shit, a long we, way. They're willing to do it. We see them do it. Yep. It's funny, I, I, and I'm sorry to keep doing this, but I have just watched two seasons of The Sopranos, but that's oh, yeah. a lot of what it comes down to, is the devotion and the willingness to do something. A lot of these guys in The Sopranos, they, they've killed some people, but they're not, they don't have like martial training, so to speak. They yeah. just have devout- A willingness. A willingness and the attitude to do what needs to be done in the most grim and dire of circumstances. Exactly. And yeah, maybe a couple of them are boxers or whatever, but, but truly, when it comes time to like killing, when it comes for murder time, there's, right. a, certain, there's a certain mindset that you have to have for, to, to, to do it. And I like that we're seeing this moment with Doak and Levi. They, they're not really killers, but- if there's one thing we've seen throughout the entirety of this movie, which you uh, put at the front of it, it's this devotion, this idea of devotion and the will to do what needs to be done. Right, right. And dude, again, just excellent fucking filmmaking here of, I can think of so many, you know, shittier scenes and shittier movies where essentially the same scenario plays out of two guys are sent to, to track somebody down and they're starting to track down people who know the people they're looking for and, and intimidate them and question them. And it always, I feel like a lot of movies will rely on an actor to be angry to get across the intensity of a scene. And I love how sure. all we see in this scene is an establishment of these guys being in over their heads, uh, but Levi reassuring him with, he wouldn't have asked you to do it unless he knew you could handle it. Like basically a, a, another matter of faith of like, it won't be beyond you because it must be done. And like, it's what's needed. So our faith will see us through. And they fucking take two fucking pistols, a roll of duct tape and walk calmly over to the store and ask if this woman <laughs> is Sarah Tomlin's mother. And she says, yes, fucking cut to the next scene. We like, that's it. That's all we need to know. We know that a bad thing is about to happen. Yep. Yep. Um, we, we get some information on the aftermath of the scene with a little helicopter ride, which is a cool reveal. Um, we don't know where they're going until we see the destruction and we learn it's a Navy satellite. Miller thinks it was Alton. Of course they're right. And oh, this yeah. particular satellite was tasked with detecting a nuclear explosion, which is interesting. Miller finds this quite ominous to which no radiation on the scene, but Miller asks Sevier if he can program a drone to search for a specific heat signature. And apparently this is a heat signature that maybe Alton is giving off. Yeah, he said, because he's like, you can see in this picture that Alton is standing there in the middle of the, the you know, downfalling pieces of debris. And he's like, can that specific heat signature be traced? Good shit. The news report now is that there was a weather satellite, so that's the spin, mechanical mm -hmm. failure, of course. Uh, Sarah and Lucas talk. She asks how he knows Roy. He says they grew up together and were close until Roy's parents moved him to the ranch. He tells a story about how Roy showed up three days ago, and that was it. He got a demonstration on Alton's eye thingy, and uh, Lucas recalls how powerful it was. And Lucas and says he was a state trooper. Talk to me about this scene. I, I, for one, I love it because it's scant, but it's all we need again. Mm -hmm. um, and we get the the seed, the heart, really, of Lucas's conviction that he has seen yep. just enough of what Alton can show and can do to be like, all right, this is legitimate. There is something more to this kid. Like what I like about all of our characters and this movie as a whole, even for kind of what it does to the audience until uh, sort of the later part of the movie, sure. is that the it, third it kind of 
it kind of demands faith from us. It demands that, all right, this, oh. there's something more to this kid. We don't know really the, what the nature of it is or, or why, but there, this kid is being pursued and he is very important and he has abilities that have to be protected. Um, and what he can show with his fucking eye beams, I guess, gives you a sense of that. You know, when we were seeing Paul interview some of the church members earlier, the, that one woman describes it as it's not really like visions or, or images. It's more of like a feeling. Um, and that's what I can imagine that Paul, uh, I mean, not Paul, um, Lucas probably saw when, when, when Alton showed him that, that uh, a vision, a feeling of, of some, some kind of higher truth or something beyond us. And that's all it really is. No definition, no clear explanation, but enough for him to say, all right, I'm, I'm willing to put my own life on the line to go after this. And, you know, I think him caring about Roy as much as he does certainly helps. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that little piece of what Alton can do is enough to, to, for Lucas to go on this journey. Yep. And I think it also cements the, um, it also cements the relationship between Lucas and Roy quite a bit as they must have had a very strong bond prior to this severing. But you're right. right. And, and even if it had been severed, that that Roy would come back with his son in this situation to Lucas to Correct. entrust him with this, that's a pretty big that's a pretty big token of I still trust you. Yep. Absolutely good way to say it. You're doing really well tonight. <laughs> I'm on my game, baby. There's there's meat on the bone with this. I just food. wanted to tell you, I think you're doing a good job tonight. Oh, thank I'm you. Proud thank of you. you, Big Daddy. Yeah. You're doing really nice. Nice work tonight. <laughs> <laughs> really flexing. Yeah. I'm going to give you a gold star. Oh, Pearl and put up on the sticker board. Awesome. When I'll I get mail, 10. Uh, well, we'll talk. When you get 10, we'll go to the toy store. <gasps> oh, but we'll get any but toy you want. Yep. <laughs> Me and you. I'm going to put your shoes on. You're tying them though, kiddo. I think you can oh, do it. Yep. I'm all thumbs. We're going to put your goggles on, your, uh, your fucking shooting goggles on, and your shooting earphones on, and we're going to... Uh, did I say shooting goggles? Swimming goggles and shooting earmuffs. You sure did. I'm You're, like, are we going to go mass shoot up a, a fucking toy store, D? Ear, ear protection. And uh, you're going to tie your shoes. I'll drive, but you can sit in my lap like, <laughs> like it's 1983. And then um, <laughs> I can hold your beer while you drive. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. And uh, we're going to get you whatever toy you want in the store. <laughs> so uh, keep it fuck. up. Keep it Good up. Good times. No. But, um, Let's talk about um, Sarah asking Alton what happened at the gas station. Did you mean to do that? Yes. Why? They're watching me. The police, they talk like police on the radio. What do they say? Asks Roy. They are looking for me. Damn. Mm -hmm. Can't hide nothing from this kid. Nada. Uh, and I think, I think it's this next scene is, is the one that you were probably thinking of earlier when they're back at uh, Eldon's place. Yep, I am. Right. And I'm pretty sure... I'm trying to remember here. I don't think you see Eldon, which is kind of what it implies that they take him out. Right. That's why I thought, that's why I thought Roy shot him. No, I'm pretty, I, I could be wrong on that. Now that I think about it, I'm like, I guess we don't see a, a confirmation either way. Um, but I, I, I had thought that we got a glimpse well, of him one more hey, time. Hey, 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 Maybe hey, Dean's hey. right. Before that gold star tries, peel it right off. <laughs> and we'll try for the toy store next week. Put it put it back on your board for a, a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> Daddy's yeah. magic juice. Maybe we can go down to the strip joint and I can just get a blowy. <laughs> you stay we home with your on, mother. <laughs> go on down to the strip club and look at it. 
Jesus Christ. That is by, you know, it's the nastiest way to describe going to a strip, strip club, but it's also the cleanest way. There's no swearing. There's no filth. But just saying, I want to go to the strip club and look at it. It's just so gross. <laughs> I want to look right in its eye. I want to look at it. I want to give that hook of money and look at it. Yikes. So gross. Put your goggles on. <laughs> Put your goggles on. You can't look at it. I look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably rather watch war footage on some of them broads. <laughs> Token Levi go to Eldon's house. It's empty. They find a receipt from the Suzu Rodeo 99. They also see the van. Yeah, I think Eldon's dead. Um, later, while driving, Alton has a uh, breathing attack of sorts. It passes, but then crazy eye flash moment. Oh, yeah. It's so bright that it's just like blinding to everyone. It, it has concussion to look force, at. like the, the car alarms going off nearby. Oh, yeah. God, like you get the sense that it must just be like migraine-inducingly bright. So wild. And, and he, he course, can't control it right here. Yeah, he collapses outside. He's barfing. He's looks terrible, by the way. Oh, terrible. Luke is like, we got to go to the hospital. Yeah, and boy, what a moment of conviction right here. Between the two of them, too. I mean, they're both ready to basically go to blows over this disagreement of Lucas being like, he needs to go to the hospital. Like, look at him. He's hurting. He's sick. Uh, and Roy just still standing his ground on no. You know, and, and a big part of that, too, is he thinks if we take him into a hospital, we get got. That's it. They figure out who we are. So I get it. I get it. I see it both ways of, you know, from the outside, just looking at this as a kid, all pale and sickly and puking. You're like, God, something needs to be done. It's at this point where we learn that um, Alton says he needs to be awake during the day in the sun, to which Roy says, you can't. I have to. It could kill you, Dad. I have to. So this is important because this is uh, this is where the movie is sort of going to change. There's this turning point coming up here. Indeed. And then for one, especially that Alton, up to this point, he kind of has that, that I'm the kid with powers, but I don't understand them, can't control them. Sure. I don't really know what's going on. I have to be sheltered and guided. And from this point forward, and what I also find really interesting about it, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, okay. but, um, but Roy is very ready, unquestioning in what Alton tells them from here on. He's like, when Alton's like, we need to go, we need to go into the woods. You, you have to take me. He's just like, okay. Like he starts basically taking orders from from Alton. Uh, he has full faith in what he you know knows and says. Hundred percent, dude. And it's cool, but yeah, from this point forward, Alton is kind of the one leading. Uh, he's the one who knows what needs to be done and why. Yeah. Yep. And Sevier looks at a whiteboard with coordinates. They have dates and locations. He's trying to track and predict uh, movements for his quarry. Sevier doesn't really believe they're going to Atlanta, as some others maybe do. And he says, all these places mentioning the sermons don't matter. He is just listening to the government talk. He's just looking for a language to describe a location, and all he heard was coordinates. And then Sevier starts to make calculations, and then he says, I know where they are going. Ah, so, so good. this I don't fully understand. Well, how do you mean? I don't understand it. Is he just, so? so what's your take on this? Um, I mean, basically what, like what Paul was saying that I think, uh, essentially Alton without understanding what he was doing was hearing all these things and, and sort of intuiting that, that these numbers are locations and just like basically trying to use all of the government info that he hears to piece together a way to, to like, like basically what he says, like of finding a way to put into 
communicable words or numbers where he needs to go because he doesn't he he probably senses it feels it but doesn't know how to communicate that to anybody else and so he's just saying coordinates that he knows maybe overlay where he's supposed to be i know this is still sounds fucking confusing as shit but i i i feel like the gist of it is that alton as you know even though he's got all these powers is still a kid doesn't really understand how to put into to words this sensation of i know i need to be here in this place at this time uh and how to say what that place is because he doesn't know the names of a town there or the interstate to get to this place uh but he hears all this information all the time because that's part of his ability um and i think he's just randomly grabbing bits and pieces of it and numbers of it and speaking them out loud almost like almost like a, a computer just crunching through a big set of data and just trying to find the the pieces of data that he needs but to all of the religious people they hear all of the bits of data as he's just you know going through them and saying these coordinates out loud and they start you know latching onto every bit of it as important what was the middle thing again <laughs> Basically that the church people were listening to every gobbledygook that he was saying and uh, attaching all this importance to every piece of it, whereas Paul realizes, no, he's just kind of churning through all these different coordinates, saying them out loud as he hears them, trying to figure out what coordinates are the ones he needs. Matthew, do you know what I heard when you said all of that? No, 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 I did not hear that. I heard... I did not have sex with that woman. <laughs> well, that depends on what the, your definition of the word is, is. Oh, shit, man. What the word is, is. Um, uh, it's the funniest thing that's ever been said. Uh, so, hey, we'll wait. never top it. It's the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> um, balls. Did I mention I can play the sax? <laughs> um, Eldon's alive in the next scene, so we're both fucking idiots. No stars. <laughs> Whoops, take them both down. Daddy doesn't get his booze and I don't give him my toy. <laughs> see, I, think, I, I kept thinking, I was like, we see him again. We see him again. I know Yeah, you're right. You're right. We see him right here. Um, this is the problem. I've only seen a movie once. What happened to your head, Eldon? Eldon is, uh, he's got the thousand yard stare suddenly. <laughs> well, I mean, he saw Jesus light and then he got beat over the head and then he got <laughs> a gun pointed at him. He's had a rough, rough couple of days. Yeah. So Sarah and Lucas are in the hotel. Sarah says that Roy believes in something. Lucas says it doesn't matter. Good people believe in things still die every day. So again, we see Lucas more of the pragmatist thought process. Exactly. And I think that that sums up, again, it's such a nice, straightforward, succinct summary of of Lucas and who he is and how he, what his conviction is in believing that I can keep these people that I care about safe. I, their specific beliefs don't really matter to me. I just know that they are in danger in the pursuit of these things, and I can keep them safe, so I'm going to do my damnedest to do that. And she says like, here, Roy spent cool. two years watching another man raise our son. He did what I couldn't. He'll do anything to get him there. So I think that was her breaking point of when when Alton got adopted up by Calvin, where she was like, I can't stomach that. When, she, when the powers were starting to be displayed. Yeah, and yeah. that's it. She bounced. So Roy and Alton are in a field at sunup. This is a pretty cool scene visually. Dude, yeah, this is cool because up to this point, you know, I guess they've had this belief at least, or maybe it used to be a real problem that he couldn't be in the sun. That he was like extremely photosensitive, and that it would it hurt him or it would like spurn his powers on in some uncontrollable way. Because you know, Roy has to be convinced. Uh, but this is also again another big moment of I will have faith in what Alton says. Where he's like, it will be okay. 
Like, we need to do this. Uh, whereas before this, Roy was the one being like, absolutely not. He cannot be out in the sun. You know, we have to keep him safe. Put the cardboard up over the windows. Mm. Um, but when Alton says, no, that's what I need. Trust me. I'll, it'll all be fine. He goes out there. Yep. And this is wild. It's visually impressive. The earth cracks. In this I just love watching light. how terrified uh, Roy is here, too. Yeah. Terrifying. The explosion is cool. That big and it's, energy you know, dome. Yeah, it looks like it's probably about a hundred, two hundred meter radius. Yeah, it's pretty big, which matters because it gets really big at the end. Real fucking big. And then there's so a knock cool. on the door, and, and then in the daylight we see Roy and Owen. And this is kind of the moment in the movie where we almost feel an upturn. Because I'll be honest with you, I felt, I felt in an impending, I felt an impending sort of. Uh, dire end i felt that we were gonna have some sort of tragic yet uplifting ending as everyone died to get this boy where he needed to be yes i agree i kind of felt the same way i was like "Ooh, i think the boy might be okay but at the end the rest of these people are not gonna make it yeah i I, that's what i felt in this moment especially um it was i was like oh is this sort of like a fake upturn for the heroes right oh and especially actually uh once what happens at the hotel next oh yeah this is amazing i love this scene God, Dude, so I wrote I wrote down over here. Um, oh, we're not quite there yet. There's a no, lot more quite. dialogue to kind of plow through before we get there. But um, essentially, it says, "I saw the sunrise this morning. I think I know what I am now. There's a world built on top of ours. People live there. I think they're like me. They are like you. They are like you." Sorry, Sarah asks. Yes, I think so. I understand. Sarah says. Lucas says he believes him too. He has tears in his eyes. They share a smile. It's touching. Performance, directing, music, good stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's it's solid, and I, I just like the shift in in how Alton behaves too. Like they all immediately notice it, and they sit down on the bed while he explains to them what's really going on. He blossoms uh, a bit here, doesn't he? It's right, cool. yeah. Like he he sort of comes out of his shell. Because that was totally one thing. I was as much as we love the setup of this movie, and I thought it was good all around. The only slight thing I had to worry about was like, is this kid just going to be a total fucking non-character, a prop character who's just like, oh, I have powers hmm. and keep me in the back seat of a car all the time, like you know? And he's just the like living MacGuffin that propels the movie, and he doesn't really <laughs> have a fucking character at all. But right. at this point, I was like, oh, he starts to, like you said, blossom. I think it's a good way to say it. He starts to expand beyond where he was and start to. I think beforehand, he really didn't have an understanding of his own powers. He just knew he had them. And now he actually has like a self-awareness of it. Sure. Later, cool. Sarah and Roy talk. I need to talk to you. It's about tomorrow. The world you saw, it didn't last very long. Seconds. And then he got better. Yeah. What are you asking? What if Alton doesn't belong with us? Sarah asks. We need to consider that come tomorrow. He may be gone. Right? Yeah. And honestly, one, the only thing I would say. I thought say, this was all a red herring for them going to be gone. Getting him there. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I do like this. I like Sarah being the one to kind of put forward the idea and be accepting of the idea of the only sure. way this works is that we're probably going to have to give him up. Like, whatever, whatever that we're going to that happens at March 6th at this place, uh, he's probably going to leave us. And, and that's that's cool. That's a you know a pretty powerful thing for a parent to have to understand about their own kid. Yeah, I mean, she's already proven to be a deadbeat, though. Yeah, she's already bounced on this little dipshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, the only the only other thing I'll say that kind of bugs me about Kirsten Dunst's character in this movie is not it's not her fault. I think that's really the last interesting thing she does, other than cutting her hair. Like she, they don't she doesn't really have much to do. The rest of she's kind of just like ah, I'm along for the ride. 
Yeah. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Could have given her a little, a little more interesting thing, but I do like that she's the one who, who kind of forces Roy to, to reckon with that. Because I think Roy is so mission-minded that he's not really thinking about what happens after. Sure. So but they dude. all head out, and I yell at my TV, Lucas is going to get shot. Oh, dude, yeah, I this, screamed. Oh, the ambush moment is so fucking incredible. Oh, man, I was because so bummed. It's, it's so stunningly real to me. It yeah, is very— It's, it's it, quick. It's quick. It's messy. messy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it absolutely feels like the way two very non-professional people would handle this kind of ambush and the way it just looks. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's so fucking scary and good. It's good shit, man. Fucking Levi, smart. He was in reserve. True, true. Hit around the corner. Slick. They just get fucking sandwiched on this balcony, though. It's brutal. I love the, uh, I, I love this scene. I love that. I love that uh, Doke gets hit in the gut, Ooh, and yeah. um, it takes two shots for him to get into the room. I love it. Like, ah, it's just cool. Exactly. And, and just the desperation, the the screaming from Lucas and Roy. I mean, they are just like struggling, dude. Yeah, and just how gnarly it is. Of you know, they come up to these guys. Are they after they already shot them? They're down, wounded, and just fucking zip tie them to the railing. I, I love the devotion of these guys is is on par with the devotion of them to keep the kid. Exactly. That's some uh, religious shit, man. Some powerful. powerful <laughs> ah, religion's beautiful. <laughs> powerful faith. But no, I really do. I think it's... And, and dude, also what a great detail of Doke being very aware that, all right, grab a pillowcase. We're going to have to cover this kid's head. Yeah. He's going to blind us with his light. Blinded by the light. Wrapped so, up like a douchebag. I'm a Jesus character, but I got a shitty ending. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Awesome. They make off with the kid. Roy's driving here is, how should we say, motivated. I love that we see, like, I love that we see Sarah yanking that goddamn handle off the shower and getting them free. And the the scene really, to 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 heighten the realism, the scene makes us watch this whole thing transpire. It's not like cut right. to them in the car. We actually yeah. get to see what she has to do to retrieve the boot knife, to cut them loose, for them to run down, to grab the bags. It gives you the sense of fuck. You know, it's oh, not like yeah. we just cut to them in the car. And I think, and I think because of the type of tone in the movie that it makes sense to do that. Right, right. I agree, and, that, and that's a that's a good choice of of editing to to let these shots go on as long as they do. To let us, you know, to see Roy having to get up and start running down the balcony as she moves back to to Lucas to cut him, and then start to run down the stairs to go into the car. Like there are other times where it's like, nah, cut the shot, move on. Like sure. we can we can go. But letting us see the amount of time elapsing as they have to just just the physical moving to get to the car to get on the road, it makes that 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 delay so intense. Mm -hmm. um also dude what a great detail of when roy gets all uh zip tied up and and they're starting to leave with alton where he's actually saying doke don't please like he knows him they know each other like how fucking dark that's why he doesn't just kill him but there is an ambush like that's right again that's and that's dude that's that's good writing Right. And the, the, the implied like layers of knowing each other underneath all of this, like, I think no doubt in my mind, Doke, if he had blasted Roy right when he came out the door and killed him, that, that he'd be fine with that and move on. But once Roy is, you know, down and he's subdued, I'm not just going to take the time to, to extra time to kill him and be mm-hmm. that cruel. He's like, Ugh, okay, it, it's done. We got the kill. Let's just fucking go. Yeah, man. Ugh, it's cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. 
So our boy is motivated in his driving. <laughs> Quite motivated. And then that's when we spot the vehicle that Doke had and no sign of anyone, right? Ooh, after all the soldiers are stopping cars, Ooh. we have military checkpoints on the highway now. Yep. We do, see a, we do see a helicopter lift off. Um, uh, and, the, yep. and the vehicle's empty. So I don't know whatever became of Croak and Levi. Do we know? We don't see bodies on the drive-by, do we? Uh, we see blood splattered on the window, though. Okay, we do on the yeah. passenger side. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they must and have so got I, smoked. I think they were they were probably dumb and tried to like fly by or plow through. And you know, also the kids, those guys are dying too. They're not going to quit, right? Nope, they're dying. They're they're for sure dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, and you got to imagine that Alton is screaming and struggling. He's not going to like lay low so the soldiers don't see him. You know, he's probably fighting them and these soldiers know what they're looking for. They're out here looking for this kid. Yeah. So they get stopped and they're not going to give them up and they get blasted. They get fucking Sicario'd is what happens. Yeah, dude. Speaking of which, I want to shout out a podcast right now while I'm thinking about it. Um, I highly recommend you listen to Ed Calderon. On Joe Rogan, number 1,302. He's a security specialist and combatives instructor with over 10 years experience in public safety. And everything he talks about is being police in Mexico. And it sounds like he's discussing Sicario. It's fucking crazy. That's terrifying. (laughs) Dude, listen to it. I'm 49 minutes in and and it's like, holy shit, dude. And they're talking about like just the stances they had to take and being over there and the corruption and how they were like, and how they essentially had to, st- like, this was the, one of the most intriguing lines. He says, we had to stop treating the cartel like a crime problem and start treating it like an insurgency. And I was like, fuck. Right. Like, They're that, that fucking well-armed. And that's, the, yeah, man. And he talks all about that. He talks about, like, these golden guns that these guys would have. But, dude, it's it's he talks about Juarez and shit. You, you have to listen to it. He talks about people hanging from overpasses. Dude, it's bananas. Bananas. Definitely go listen to it. Number 1302, Roy Calderon. Roy Calderon. Calderon. Um, Anyway, later that night, uh, our heroes, Roy and them, are discussing, um, you know, Roy's not hopeful, I guess. He's gone. The only thing I ever believed in was Alton, and I failed. And Roy's feeling shitty. And uh, what do do you get from him walking towards traffic? Is he having a moment of, like, I'm going to kill myself here, or... I think just that he doesn't want to be around anybody. I think okay. He's just walking okay. away. All right. Yeah, I was going to say. That seemed, uh, it, it was a little clunky. So I was like, what does he do? Is he just going to, it's just the way he was walking towards traffic in the giant, I, I don't know. The way they filmed it made you think, is he going to step in front of that bus? <laughs> Boy, what a fucking anticlimactic ending that I would know, be. but they, they shoot it like they want you to think about it for a second. Right, right. Oh, anyway. Fuck, that's funny. <laughs> cut, cut to the government. To the government. Dude, this is this is such a uh, this is a great scene for Alton being aware of how he needs to manipulate this. Like that's this so is bananas. Cool. I like. I'm a ch- I'm a childhood development specialist. He's like, yeah, fuck off. I need to talk to Paul Sevier. Just like immediately. I, I just yeah, I just love these little visual tricks, like him still seated on the monitor but standing up in the room, showing you this mastery yeah. over technology he has. Right, that he can manipulate it to keep that one image there, so nobody you, gets suspicious. As I say, mastery over technology, it, it just sort of makes my mind open many doors about this, almost like this interesting message of uh, children and 
where technology will be and how they will master it into the future. It's kind of an interesting thought. <laughs> you know? It's true. Writing their like fucking the, the, apps in their sleep. The famous picture, the famous uh, video of the the toddler trying to turn pages on the magazine like it was an iPad. Oh my God. And you're like, whoa. My fucking oh. mind melted when I saw that. Oh, you'd be amazed how well three and four year olds navigate fucking Dude, iPads and, it's and apps. Bananas. And it's like, holy shit, you're it's just bananas. steeped in this. I watch, I, you know, friend of the show, Mike and Sam, I watch their son interact with technology with such proficiency because oh, yeah. he started so young. And um, boy, it's crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, we, bring, we roll in Sevier, he gets on the mic. And um, he starts asking some questions. After after Elton tells everyone else to leave. Yep. And they all, like, I love how they're trying to be this, like, intimidating, you know, government force. They're all standing, you know, they're, you know, demanding information from Elton. And he's like, everybody leave. And they just kind of have to. They're like, if we're going to get something from this kid. We kind of have to follow his orders. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're seeing this information leaking as, as a major threat to national security. That's the government's interest in this whole thing. Which then, okay. of course, becomes Alton, because what, what's up with this kid? So they're there. It's twofold. <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah, imagine, imagine... So imagine this story from the FBI's perspective for just a second. You have a tip-off about a cult the, called the Ranch stockpiling weapons for the last six months. So you start putting some surveillance on them and you start to realize that the information that they are spreading is secret information from the fucking government. Imagine making that connection one day and going, guys, guys, and running down the hallway of like West Wing <laughs> with papers in oh. your hands. Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Right? That's that's awesome, man. That's kind of, it, it's almost cool to think about it from that perspective. It's true. Just like yeah. how fucking alarming that would be. You're like, holy yeah. shit. Wait, Some wait, kid are you telling me? Out everything. Not just that, but why is this cult repeating secret, top secret encrypted information from a satellite? Right. Like, there's no way they'd be able to act. They probably have internet out there. Like, fuck. That's bananas. <laughs> anyway, where do we start? The screen flickers. Alton is standing in, but the screen shares him sitting, of course. The door unlocks. Sevier goes into the room with Alton. Um, he's clearly nervous. I like how he's putting his weight on his back foot, right? <laughs> so oh, that's, yeah. That's cool. Hell yeah, dude. You um, you go and talk to the kid, yet you know for a fact pulled a satellite down from the sky and wrecked an entire gas station. You're yeah. like, huh? No shit. <laughs> please, please don't scanners me, please. It's scarier than an adult because the the whimsical nature of the child, you know? like oh, God, yeah. Maybe he thinks field, it's dude. funny if your head was on backwards. Oh, man. <laughs> Right? It pleases me to see you, Dad. <laughs> That's why Joffrey's so terrible in Game of Thrones, right? Exactly. He's a little older, but it's like, ugh. But um, but I think you're a weapon. I'm not. The ranch thinks no, you're does, their savior. He says they think you're a weapon, which is a, which is a cool oh, part of I'm Paul's sorry. character. Got it, got it. And he's like, um, they think you're a weapon. The ranch thinks you're their savior. And, and Alton's just like, I'm not any of those things. I belong I into the world. There are people That's there. It. They watch us. They've been watching us for a long time. I need to go where I belong. Um, I want to give a shout out to this young man. I think he does a good job in this movie. I agree. I think he's solid. Yeah. And he's he's young here too. I think he really is only eight or nine. He's a good actor. Yeah, he is. He's good. Um that was more, Jaden Martell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and more just fucking solid filmmaking and editing right here because we have this moment of Alton just going, he's like, where do you belong? And he doesn't say anything. He just starts to light his eyes and we see Paul starting to stare into them. Cut back to Roy and Lucas and Sarah 
and a row of payphones just all start ringing. Awesome. That is so great. He goes over to it and we hear, are you Roy? I'm Paul. That's just, that's great. No time wasted there, man. We cut right to this. In the instant reaction of Roy to run to the phones. Exactly. Yeah. That he wouldn't, he knows that this is something that Alton's capable of. Yep. And uh, the FBI, all the lights go off. That's cool. We, we see the, that's how they got out of there because we would need that explanation, I think. Yeah, yeah, that they killed the power to the entire building. The emergency exits are all fucking shut down, all of it. So cool. And then right after Paul calls uh, Roy to tell him exactly where he's going to be, where to meet him so they can give him Alton back, fucking takes the phone apart, takes the battery out, the SIM card, drops it in the sewer. I'm like, this NSA guy knows what's up. He's like, no, we got to get rid of that shit. (laughs) I know about that shit. That's a fucking 7-Eleven burner phone right there. Exactly. Oh, fuck. And this is before Snowden. Shit. Yeah, no shit. Um, So Sevier shows up. Alton gets out of the car and runs to dad. Lucas still has the gun on Sevier. I like that. And then Sevier warns, they know where you're going. The roads will be blocked. Alton says he can help with that. Sevier asks to go with them. That's kind of cute. Dude, I love that moment. Because that is such a this kind of movie moment where like, can I go with you? And you're like, well, okay. And now we get the the eccentric outsider also joining the party. Yeah. And and I just love how they just stare at him. He's just like, no. Who plays this character in 1999? Oh, 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 Jeff Goldblum. Hell yes, son. Jeff fucking Goldblum, baby. (laughs) You fucking know it. In a goddamn tropical shirt. My guy, my guy. You're on top of things. Simpatico, mm-hmm. Matthew. Simpatico. <laughs> Our brainwaves are <laughs> fucking. If everything, if everything else fails in this podcast, we'll always have that. <laughs> we'll have our last dance. <laughs> um, oh, great moment from Lucas too, where he's like, you know, after after no. Roy says no to him, he just kind of shakes the shotgun, like, yeah, get back in your car, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks and all, but we're gonna stick with our own. Thank you very much. Do uh, me a favor, then- scrub my uh, internet searching history. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so last good. i think it was three nights ago i searched cream pies could you do me a favor and thanks buddy <laughs> hot Fuck. cream pies can you uh yeah no yeah definitely not the ones at a bakery hypothetical cream pies what was the name of the band we came up with I think that's what it was <laughs> i think that's what it was there's too much there's too much hypothetical God, we, we, I wish we had a super fan, like a like a super fan that was like a tech driven kind of nerd. <laughs> Our very own Alton, who has an index mind of every fucking yeah, bit dude. we've ever thrown off. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna drive me crazy. You I can condense remember. all. You can condense all of our content into like two hours of really good stuff. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we can use exactly. it to, to to rope people in to where they <laughs> listen to a two hour show, hoping for the four or five moments of hilarity, and then they're like, "Oh, I guess that's all I get." That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> We're basically an amusement park. It's a lot of wasted time and the occasional thrill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Anyway. Um, but great little moment when, when Paul asked to take the handcuffs, you know, who appear to have been taken. Can you punch me in the face? And he just looks at him like, no, it's not a movie, man. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. I love that he doesn't comply. <laughs> exactly. It's so much more realistic. And he's just like, okay, okay never, never mind. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, later, we see Alton getting fitted for a bulletproof vest. Roy tightens it with duct tape. And, uh, Dad, are you scared? Yes, you don't have to worry about me. I like worrying about me. You don't have to anymore. I'll always worry about you, Alton. That's the deal. That is the most true fucking dad sentiment Dude. ever. Like, I Hell love that. yes. 
That's fantastic. Or even when you're alien, like I, I half expected him to be to kind of have that bullshit movie character resolution moment where he's like, where he like slow nods and he's like, okay, like I, I release you. And I'm like, nobody would. <laughs> nobody release no you. I release you. You know what I mean? That fucking bullshit ass movie dialogue that no one in real life says. <laughs> like he's talking to a fucking, you. like he's talking to a poltergeist in an old house. No, he's talking to like a fucking dog that he like took the collar off of. Go, go. That bullshit. Cersei Lannister wants you dead, Nymeria. Go. Starts throwing rocks at it. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Just go. (laughs) Fucking the end of 12 years a slave. I release you. Um, oh fuck anyway oh, so good Roy helps Harper on the vest they hug Lucas looks on the family hug which is nice and uh, he's kind of studying the map looking for some some ingress and egress as they say mm-hmm. we can do this I like Hello. how Roy cut, tries to cut him loose here because I that that's a moment where you think Roy's like uh oh we're kind of probably running to the end of the rope here and he doesn't want to get his friend killed Right. I love I love that Roy offers and I also love that Lucas is like, nah, are you right. driving? Yeah. So fucking good. And also you gotta imagine, I'm like, dude, I shot a cop. <laughs> like I'm in deep. Like what am I what else am I? I might as well see this through to the end. Like I'm yeah. I'm an, I'm a fucking outlaw no matter what now. Um here is an amazing piece of cinematography right here. The swooping up over the trees. Dude, it starts <sighs> on the road. It has to be edited somewhere. And then it becomes some sort of like drone type of shot. Oh yeah, when you see it's like really six helicopters cool. just circling. Yeah, looks Excellent. amazing. Oh man, and I love I love the fucking realism too here of this moment where he's like, "All right, there really is no way to penetrate this. Right. We just found the most loosely guarded point. Like this is the spot with the least sure. amount of soldiers." And I imagine that Alton was probably able to to pick up on that by listening to their fucking radio communication and knowing that all right, this is this is the area with the least amount of of stationed troops. Gotta be National so, Guard or something. I was trying to think of probably. who it was. Unless and also, it's government has, guy. Unless it's what feds. I, I don't know. They look. I mean, they look like troops. Um, but I also love that he knows basically their rules of engagement that he probably also picked up over the radio. He's like, don't right. fire at them. They, they have to, they can only return fire. Yeah. The rules of that engagement cool. for this particular situation. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he's heard all of it. Yeah. And they just fucking plow through this shit. I love oh. that it fucks up the car and it, and it oh, basically yeah. kills the car. It just goes a little further. I mean, this is, this deploys is like, the airbags, rips up front, the front, rips the front apart. Makes one of the tires flat. I mean, the car gets fucked up. This is one of the most like real world terrifying moments. The idea of having to just plow forward at this thing is is fucking terrifying, man. Yeah, the troops immediately get to the uh, to the uh, Humvees and, and begin pursuit. Oh yeah, so fucking cool. Yeah, and Roy has the moment where this is the last time he sees his son. Yeah, sees him <laughs> off with Sarah. This is slick. I like the little misdirect here. Yeah, yeah, this is cool. They let him out into the woods, and then they peel back onto the road with their fucking barely hanging on to tires <laughs> vehicle. It's like the vehicle at the uh, after the uh, bank heist and heat. You're like, oh, man. Dude, you're like, that How thing fu- is <laughs> on its final leg. How are they getting <laughs> out of this one? <laughs> <laughs> They're not. <laughs> right. Oh, um, shit. Which kind of leads us to the last 15 minutes or so of the film. 
And I kind of just want to talk about it as a whole. I'm not sure we need to go by each piece here, but just like this whole thing that happens, his eyes glow and, and we get all these kind of, you know, this is cut against them sort of making their, uh, their last run here as they're under pursuit. I thought they were totally going to get wasted. Oh yeah, dude. I I was expecting a a sad ending for basically everybody but Alton. Right, right. Uh, But they, they make it and Alton goes and, uh, Conjures up his extra dimensional light being city. <laughs> right. So there it is. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling about it? I mean, it, it's a, it's uh I don't know what the movie's trying to say. I don't know either. And I think right. like that's I'm a, I'm at once when I say that, I'm okay with that. I don't think it needs to have some grand statement about existence or I don't, some no, shit. No, I and I don't even but, I'm not I'm not even saying there's a there's a false choice here. I'm just saying right. I don't know. I don't even know what the simple statement is. I agree. I mean, I think and I think it is for in one way as literal as there's a an a, diff, a, a different dimension that exists on top of ours that can be accessed by Alton and that he must be one of these beings, not exactly aliens because they are of Earth. They're just like, I don't know, highly evolved beings that have gone beyond flesh and matter and they're pure light, but why do they have a concrete city anyways? Um, it's cool yeah, looking. Like, I mean, I like the way it cool. looks, with, yeah, the, it looks with, the, cool. with the foliage on top of it. I mean, it's... Definitely looks fucking cool. Um, but yeah, like he's maybe maybe human beings can become these things, and that's why he has some kind of genetic connection to it. Because I mean, fucking Sarah and Roy are normal people, but they had this boy who right. who is of the light, I guess. Um, but yeah, and, and and I think all that really was supposed to happen that he just wants to go and be there. And that's yeah. it. This is just this is just a portal, a gateway for him to access their world and and leave ours. And that's right. the whole of it. That's that's really kind of it. <sighs> yeah. That's I mean, like that's it. That's what it is. It's just that the government wanted to to nab him and be like, "How can you do all the shit you do? Let's cut him open." Uh and and instead, he's saved and returned to his extra-dimensional beings home, I guess. Right. <laughs> but kind of a shit ending for Lucas and kind of a shit ending for Roy. I mean, they're incarcerated. They're in fucking federal pound you in the ass prison. <laughs> I, I and and he's got these things on his head because he's the father, so they probably have him under observation. Yes, and we get that little glimpse. Did you catch that thing of his yeah. eyes yeah. having a flicker to them? Um, and I, I watched one one video. What does that uh, mean? I I like this one guy's theory. Wish I could shout him out. Should have wrote it down. Uh, but I, a, a guy's theory about that on YouTube. You do the work. <laughs> um, <laughs> where he was basically saying he thinks that it must be maybe like a recessive gene that this is some kind of human evolutionary possibility. But that Roy maybe has a recessive version of it, whereas Alton is is a more like fully expressed genetic version of this that this is what maybe our next evolution could be or something and that maybe maybe the government's trying to wake that up in Roy testing maybe. on him I'm like yeah, that's a valid sure. I think that's a good idea good theory credit yeah. to that guy whoever the fuck you are yeah yeah but um but no man as, as far as everybody else's ending it's you know it's, it's a lot happier than uh them all getting gunned down by the government Bonnie and Clyde style but 
their lives are kind of wrecked. Sarah's the only uh, one who really gets away. And I think it's a happy ending for her. Like we, we talked about earlier, um, where we kind of see the symbolic moment of her cutting her hair and her getting to kind of embrace a new identity, which I think is cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see if I have see, sadly, I didn't have time to think too long about this movie. I haven't had time to mull it over. But if I'm if I'm on the fly here, as as a you know, I've just watched this movie today, took a bunch of notes, and we're talking about it now. If I was to try to interpret the ending, maybe there's maybe it's supposed to have this sad sort of moment, but also this hopeful moment for that which lies so close but is so far away, right? Right, right. Which is which isn't it's not overly groundbreaking. It doesn't you know it's not. It's not like, oh, look at this technology that is that is hopeful for this future because of these bad things going on currently that we set up in the beginning. And if you keep working hard, this is what you'll be. Or is it just sort of a random, my kid was special and now he's sort of gone, but always kind of there and, and okay. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really, sadly, my problem with the movie is the end of the movie doesn't connect back to any of the groundwork laid. Yeah, with, it the, with the cult, away. with the government, with any of that stuff, it never really sort of bridges the gap. So it's almost like, yeah. So I mean, but to be clear, I still really like this movie. I just don't love it, and I think it's probably because of the ending. They don't really stick the, the ending, in my opinion. And I could try to be creative and come up for reasons for it. I just can't think of any off the top of my head. Right. Maybe the listener comments will will reveal something to me. I'm not sure. Oh, and I, and I agree. I mean, like, I I don't even think it's a bad ending. I don't think it's like, ah, it fucks up the whole movie. It's shitty. It's just not a great ending. It's not as good as the as the beginning and the setup. And it's just, you know, it's just Yeah, a I will agree that like, it's not a bad ending, but I also say it's not really a good ending. It's just sort of a, huh. <laughs> well, all right then. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it really is just like, essentially like E.T. in the sense of like, all right, he gets to go home. The end. Like there's, there's no higher meaning to it really. Mm, there's um, other, like, there's other lessons to be learned in E.T. I, I think it's sort of pedantic nonsense personally, but it's a fucking kids movie. I, I haven't seen E.T. in 20 years, so I'm kind of talking out of school here, but I can't really compare it to E.T. in that sense. Well, I mean, and just in the sense of the ending of what is important for our, our special character, unlike anyone else. To get home. That's it. I mean, there's yeah, not, there's, and there's no, acceptance there's no along the way, right? I mean, I, I, don't, yeah. I haven't seen it in a hundred years. I, I don't fucking I know. know, dude. But I mean, it just like in the in the literal last five minutes, like there's no deeper meaning to them returning home. It's just the literal <laughs> them returning home. That's it. <laughs> like that's what it is, and that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just I don't think there's a lot of. I think when people see movies like this, and it has this kind of this. A foreboding, mysterious tone. I think people expect a big, grand answer, and that's also kind of the problem with with this. Where it's like the answer was that he gets to go home. That's it. He goes to the place he belongs. So There's that's no- what you're thinking. You're thinking maybe that that it is. Yeah, because so because l- let's talk about endings for a second. Because sometimes. There's an ending that has an ambiguity to it that can be interpreted by the viewer as, oh, does he live? Does he not live? Does this signify that he has changed his ways or that he hasn't? And you can think about that. I just don't even find a question sort of being posed here. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like maybe you're right. Maybe it is just a simple, we got to bring the kid home before he became this tool of the government. But what's weird about that whole thing is that it almost makes part part of me 
I mean, I, I, I guess, yeah. I, I mean, maybe that's really just what the film is about, that this kid doesn't belong to anybody. He's a special being, and the whole I, the whole premise is uh, in tone, which has been set forth, is this devotion to this kid to get him to go to this place, and and in, and in doing so, then that's uh, this kind of weird sacrifice they've made. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's all it's really about. I, yeah, pretty much. I, I agree. I and one talking about it, it made me think. I think a good um, kind of opposite example would be the ending to Arrival, um, because I think that's a movie where, for one, the the kind of reveal at the end, the the kind of uh, spoilers for Arrival. But anyways, the the revelation at the end of that movie is that uh, the main character, Amy Adams' character's daughter is not been born yet. This is not some past trauma. It's in the future. And she just has a, a new way of understanding and perceiving time. And that changes, you know, her relation to it and her, her relationship to her own choices and also the implications for humanity in that they, we understand will be necessary for something in the future to this alien race. Like that's all stuff that is alluded to slightly throughout the movie. And then we understand it by the end. Whereas in this movie, the mystery of why is he important? Why is he important? Why is he important? It's kind of, is there the whole time? And then the answer is, is very straightforward, which makes it kind of feel because like, Because he's oh, an alien. Yeah, he's an alien. He needs to go home to his alien home. The end. Like that's it. And there's not, like I was saying, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a bad ending. But because of the mystery centering so much around why is he important and what does sure. it mean and what, what does it do, the answer feels underwhelming. Um yeah, and and I think part of the difference too between the two of them is that with Arrival, you have this mystery that's alluded to, and pieces of it kind of start to rise forward. But at the same time, the the straightforward plot of the movie kind of has nothing to do with the mystery. It's about the government trying to understand why these aliens are here. What do they want from us? And can we communicate with them? Are they a threat? And and it's the scientists untangling the fact that they're not a threat and trying to get the government to believe that. That's the plot. Um, and then the the deeper more interpersonal mystery and revelation that comes out is Amy Adams' character and her connection to the aliens, her connection to her own future choices and and whether to make them or not and what it means to be a person to make those choices and, and continue to live a life. That's this whole secondary thing that comes more to the forefront at the end. And with this movie, it really is one question. It is just, why is this boy important? And that's it, it, the only reason that's a mystery is because the movie doesn't tell us. <laughs> and that's the plot the entire time. So I think that's when that question is kind of the only question for the whole movie, and you really can't wait to see the answer because that's the only question really being asked, I think some people get pissed off when they're like, well, the answer is just that he fucking goes home. Is this, is this a road trip movie where he has to go home? And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I think some people get pissed off about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think it's fine. Like, it, I'll admit, it, it yeah, keeps I think, me from I think loving if, it. If, if I may. I think basically it's just the answer is not as riveting as the the rest of the film. As the ride. Yeah. 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 Which it's is journey, fine. baby. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. It's funny. I mean, we're I, almost conditioned for... It's weird, you know, when we, it's funny how we're conditioned about certain things and it seems to be that stories is one of them. Like, you know, they say Eastern stories are very, are very like cyclical. Like the endings aren't like these big operatic things that you'd imagine. Whereas Western storytelling much usually is. And I just think about that in this random, you know, earlier we made this reference to us being an amusement park. And now I'm thinking of roller coasters. And isn't it interesting that you take a roller coaster as this weird example of something where 
the end of it doesn't really matter. Right. Isn't that right. interesting? Like, if you think about the Superman ride, the most interesting moment is when you go down that fucking 70-foot drop. Hell yeah. And then the rest of it is just enjoying the ride, and then it ends. It so it's funny, you know, like, that's how we expect, and we, amusement park rides just kind of end. <laughs> you know, they don't have a grand ending. They assuming don't somebody doesn't, you roll back into the fucking right, port. Assuming somebody doesn't get their fucking head clipped off by plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Jeez. But, but it's funny with a movie, you know, with a movie, it's like we, we are almost conditioned and it's not like we shouldn't, and it's not like we're wrong to be conditioned by it. I mean, the actual film itself, Midnight Special, kind of conditions us for this, whoa, what is everyone sacrificing themselves over, right? And, they, yeah. and then the answer is kind of just like, huh. And that's, yeah. I mean, to be honest, that's why I'm like, I'm less concerned with trying to like decipher, like I'm on, uh, this is one of the things that does annoy me about There's nothing like to decipher and, because there's right. no dialogue there's in it. Yeah, there's no dialogue in it that would lead it you to believe this anything. Yeah. And that's why when I see nerds making videos about this movie, they're like, ending explained, and what are the, I think he might be a fallen angel. I'm like, fuck, oh, all, like it doesn't Christ. matter. Who gives a fucking shit? It doesn't matter. The heart of this movie is the conviction and the faith of the characters. And I think, I would even say, it's kind of a, a story of just like parental love and sacrifice. Like, uh, it's about these people coming to terms with their role of being parents for this particular kid is to safely guide him home and let go of him. Like I'm going to reach deep into my ass for just a second. Get up in there, get the long glove. So do you think that with the way we all have the answers to everything we want nowadays in our culture, all of us now suffer from this, myself included. (laughs) Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you think that there's now a propensity for us to need to know the answer? And when we don't get it, we sometimes have almost a contemptuous sort of spoiled feeling because if I need the answer to anything just about outside of, you know, sort of emotional advice, and even then you can seek help from the internet and getting that. Do you, do you think that now there's a propensity with, with us becoming cyborgs slowly with (laughs) a world of information at our fingertips that sometimes if we don't get a solid I've Googled the answer that we sometimes are uncomfortable. Like, are we seeing a shift in our psyche to where we are uncomfortable without having the exact answer because of the way the internet has conditioned us? I don't think it can all be pinned on the internet, but I think the internet definitely exacerbates it. Because, I mean, shit, you take any even mildly complicated movie or slightly, you know, a movie that has a slightly just ambiguous any, Just ending. any knowledge. I don't mean with movies. Just anything you need to know. Yeah. Like, no, I'm just saying, I'm we get an answers. In other words, we're like children now. We want an answer. We get an answer. Right. Immediately. We press a button. Our answer it, delivered. It, it might not be the right answer, but but if we find the right answer for us, then it is the oh, right that, answer oh, People for don't us. care about the right answer. They just want a conclusion answer. Well, that's want. self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, confirmation bias, I guess is what totally. we're saying. But, but, but without going off on the, 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 the various, uh, the various uh, uh, tangential lines that it could go, Let's just keep it to that for a second. I think that's a part of, I think we're becoming, we need the answer, people. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I was only bringing up movies again as an example. For, no, go for you, it. You, you type in any movie that has a slightly ambiguous ending into Google. I mean, just start typing the title. I guarantee you one of the first, if not second or third, uh, little like prompter, like finishing things that comes up after that, the autofills will be ending explained or analysis. Like, like they wa- people want to just, okay, well, that was, I don't quite know what that means. Someone tell me exactly what it means. Why it's don't like, we have our podcast called Ending Explained? We get so many hits. Holy shit. Cut the show, cut the show. We got to patent this. Quick, quick, move, quick. quick cut quick, the live quick, move, show. Move, move. Scrub Go this, on. scrub this. Do we have a, bu- a, a, a dump button? <laughs> or two minute delay here? <laughs> oh, fuck.
We got to run with this. Hit the dumb button, producer. <laughs> Dude, you're like, as much as I'm bashing on it and I don't like that people are uncomfortable with ambiguity, I'm like, fucking grow up and get used to that. I'm also like, that's a great idea. We should fucking do that. <laughs> Ending explained. <laughs> Ending explained. We'll just, every podcast, no, we'll just do that with every podcast episode we release. Midnight special dash ending explained. Ending explained. Wow. Return of the Jedi ending explained. Return yeah. of the Jedi dash things you missed. That'll be every oh, title of God. everything we release. Going Ten forward. things you didn't know about it. I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna fucking cheat the SEO. You watch the fucking black plague of the internet. I'm doing it. <laughs> it'll, it'll just say midnight special movie podcast review ending explain things you missed. That'll be the title. <laughs> and then we can make another video about how to make your own very own ending explained videos for cash revenue. And then people are like. Nobody got the ending explained in this podcast. What the fuck? Don't matter, bitch. Got your download number, didn't I? Didn't I, motherfucker? Go make hustling. your own Squarespace or some shit. Hustling, hustling. <laughs> anyway. So, um, um, listener comments. What do you say? Listener comments. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll start with Maja Ketunen. She says, I'm slightly confused by the fact that I watched this yesterday and today randomly decided to go for the world's end which I hadn't seen before and knew nothing about. Any other movies with blue light beams shooting out of people's eyes so I can make this into a weird-ass trilogy? <laughs> can you think of any other? I can only think of Thor. Mm, God, eye, I know there's Lightning more. eyeballs. What? Lightning eyeballs, Thor. Yeah, he does that. Who else He's has got the blue little blinky eyes. eyes. Uh, fuck, there is it. Uh, oh, you know what? Cocoon. Oh, yes. Cocoon, I used to ride my bike by that house every day on my way to school. That's so fucking fun. We need to cover that movie crazy huh i think it's kind of crappy though isn't it is it i remember liking it i'm just not interested in senior citizens in movies <laughs> you ageist I'm just fuck. teasing dude you ageist piece of shit <laughs> i made that joke on the x-files podcast i'm just recycling it because i have no material because i'm a hack <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens all right i'm gonna read one from mr daniel falch i Go watched this when it was a poll option that lost this movie has a lot of great elements. The parents yes. trying to get their kid away from the cult and the depiction of the cult was excellent. I love the cult guys weren't killers, just men who believed they were sent to do a very difficult job. Adam Driver was perfect as a government official trying to figure out what was going on. The kids' powers were creepy and terrifying and tragic all, the sa- all at the same time. I loved the ending. This is a great underrated movie. Here, here, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Caleb Holmquist says... Saw this in the theater back in 2016. That's how I know he's not British. He's at the theater instead of mm-hmm. cinema. It, the I remember, cinema. I remember thinking the performances were solid across the board, and there were enough, and there were interest, interesting visuals and sci-fi ideas to carry me through it. But overall, it left a little, it left little impression on me. Maybe I could be more taken by it on a rewatch, but I never felt much call for a revisit. Caleb, that's a really good listener comment because I think it sort of lays into one of the issues with the movie, which is kind of the ending. Right, right. It didn't, he didn't go, wow. I mean, when the movie ends, you don't look at your friend and go, fuck, man. Yeah, right? You're kind of like, okay. Right, (laughs) right, right. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the problem with, it's not even, I hesitate to call it a problem. It's not a problem. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's it kind of the, the tough part of having a movie built on a mystery because mystery demands an answer. Like, Correct. you know, what, how, what would uh fucking, uh, wow, I'm just totally blanking, or, or the usual suspects. What would the usual suspects be if you literally never found out who Kaiser Sose was ever at all? The movie just ended and you're like, oh, who knows? Like, you'd be like, fuck that. What the fuck? Like, that's. 
the heart of this whole thing. Like we got to right. know it's built on this mystery. Um, and in this, it, it it feels like that. It has that like, oh, what is this mysterious element? What's the what is the nature of this kid, and why is he important? Um, that's so central to the setup and to the way everybody else is behaving around the kid that your answer to that question kind of is at the forefront of your mind the whole movie. Even if, no, even if you enjoy the journey, you're still like, this journey's really cool. All these characters are really compelling and interesting. Can't wait to find out why. <laughs> Can't wait to find out why they're doing this. Yeah, though. it's funny. It, it's funny. I was thinking back on what I said, and and just to clarify, I'm, I'm not suggesting that before the age of the internet, we were okay with shitty endings. <laughs> That's not, yeah. what I, that's not what I said. You I, fucking I, animals had, you're just happy with it. Yeah, I, I think the difference is there's an ambi- there's an ambiguous ending, which I think it, it's possible. We've lost a little bit of patience for with our demand for answers, but that's more theoretical like dribble that I pulled out of my ass. And then there's the, if the sometimes the answer is just kind of like, eh. Like this is not an ambiguous ending. It's an, it's an obvious ending where you go, oh, yeah. because of this and you go, eh. Right. You just, everybody just wants a, a more compelling, deeper, I think that's meaningful what answer. I think that's like, there's just, there kind of isn't one. Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's normal in film, especially yeah. Western film. <laughs> right. Right. Where it's like, yeah, what you saw is what you get. That's it. Yeah. He goes home. Three act structure, bing, bang, boom. How do you end it? How do you, do you stick the landing? <laughs> um, I can't, I don't have any, um, Danny, Danny Falch, uh, Jersey Mike, I some islands for a year, time to pull the trigger, you know, blah, blah, blah. Manuel Yosef, Jeff Nichols is a great director, and Midnight Special is beautiful. Actually surprised that you were covering this. Thanks, Matthew. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyone else you want to read? Kendra Marn. Um, there really was a cult in El Dorado, Texas, which is outside of San Angelo. It was FLDS. The compound is still there, but no one lives there anymore. There was a raid, et cetera, that you can read about online. I used to live in San Angelo. I'd see the ladies dressed in their prairie dress and their hair braided, just like in the movie. I'm sure none of the children had light coming from their eyes, though. Holy shit, Kendra, that is a crazy story, and I'm so happy you shared it. That's fucking nuts. That is nuts. Man, there's always a compound full of crazy religious people somewhere. Kendra, I want you to write in and tell us all about your experiences when you were a member of the cult. See how I did that? Did you see Aaron Paul? See how I just can, can just convince everyone that you were actually in the cult and totally change everything <laughs> you just wrote you to suit my narrative need? <laughs> you fucking snake. <laughs> well, well, midnight special. Midnight special. Liked it, loved it, hated it. Liked it. Liked it. Same as me. I solid can't like. quite love it, but it's a very solid like. Yep, I concur. Awesome. Well, guys, it has been fun, Matthew, picking movies with you. Um, we've had our little summer of fun, we'll call it, even though it's not even a summer. <laughs> it's not a summer, is it? The summer it's, we each look back on wistfully when we were young it, and in love. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do this every every time we roll out the the bounty thing. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's just uh, it's funny. We got to pick movies. And if you haven't listened to us in a while, or you're just li- listening to us. You know, we we had a whole back catalog of bounties for over a year. I mean, it was close to two years that we had the back the backlog on, and then we finally caught up and we rolled out a new bounty system where we're going to sell them every three months. And we'll sell them in groups of ten. Those ten sold out in about two days. So um, we gave ourselves a little breathing room to pick some movies before we launched our bounty season. And um, if you didn't get to buy a bounty on this go around you'll get a chance to buy them on the next go-around, um, which will probably be in August sometime, which will be here before you fucking know it. <laughs> True. 
So that said, um, we will still do our monthly vote. Again, if you're interested in that, you can visit us on the web at libertystreetgeek.net slash join. But um, yeah, we um, we will be covering The Last Starfighter next week, Matthew, our member vote. Whew, I haven't watched that in 78 years. Holy Never shit. seen it once. <laughs> Maybe when wait. I'm watching it, I'll remember it, but... I have zero memory of it, and I think uh, I've never seen it. This is going to be the Iron Giant all over again. <laughs> Hell yeah. Dude, that's a fun pod. <laughs> that's a it's fun It's going to be one. fun. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. You have a wonderful day, and we will catch you on the flippity flop.